Big Weekend Gaming, a podcast that dives into gaming news, analysis, and reviews. If you'd like to help contribute to the growth of this podcast and community, please leave us a five-star review, as it helps people find us. With that said, let's get on with the show. Shut up! Big Week's on the radio! Shut up! It's Gaming Fucking Studio! Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's been a big week in gaming. I'm into Got, he's Swinney, for episode 7 on Sunday, the 30th of August, 2020. In this week's show, we'll be discussing Gamescom opening night, ONL, another surprise Nintendo Mini Direct that we've all been waiting for, and Swinney's swim impressions of Spiritfarer. Swinney, how's your week been? It's been good. I've actually been playing a lot of games this week for once. Yes, you have. You've been busy. Yeah, I uh, I completed CrossCode. Oh, nice. Yeah, what did you I, think of it? What do you put about sixty hours into it? Yeah, I think I left the console on a few times, so then you know the counter got a bit bloated, unfortunately. So I couldn't give yeah, an I accurate hate that. number. I but hate that. I, I have a feeling it's about sixty to seventy hours. But that's with doing almost every single side quest, except for a couple at the end that I just found were a little annoying. Like there's, um, I guess a. Uh, a tower defense style one and i did the first version of it and then the second one i'm like well i don't really need to do it i'm not going to bother but it was well made and everything Mm. um but yeah overall it's an absolutely brilliant game um the story went places and i thought it was really really good just i can't recommend the cross code enough it's just it's the perfect balance between i guess old school and, and new school design and it's What's really good is when you when you finish the game, it kind of puts you at this crossroads and pretty much says, "Hey, there's going to be new content uh, in the future, so you can save your game here and continue on straight in that new content, or you yeah. can go back before you like face the you know the last part of the game and just continue playing." Oh, like so, New Game Plus. Okay, cool. Uh, it's not really New Game Plus. It just what it does is there's like a whole last dungeon, so to speak, and it will put you before then. But the great part is it will actually give you the choice to skip that dungeon and go straight to the ending because you've already done it as well. Ah, uh, yeah, seems but like it's a really not, well-crafted game. Oh, it's it's so it's so well made, and I'm really looking forward to what content they put out next. And uh, yeah, brilliant. And, and how do you reckon that would work with uh, Xbox Game Pass? Do you reckon the DLC would be you pay for the DLC yet? I'm not sure because I don't know enough about um, this developer, um, how they approach that. It wouldn't surprise okay. me if it's a free update, kind oh, really? of like how they would they were providing a bunch of free updates for uh, like Shovel Knight and things like that. Mm. I have a feeling uh, that's the impression I get from this game um, is that it would do that. But if it's paid content and it looks like it's interesting, then I'd, I'd be keen. They left the narrative in a in a place with some unanswered questions. It'd be cool to explore in, uh, I guess, some in-game content. So, and yeah. sort of just like on the spot, what would what would your gut feel be on out of five? What would you give this game? I know you give it a thumbs up. You've already said that people should play it. I'd probably give it a four and a half out of five. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, really good. Like yeah, this I just game hear good is, things. This game is brilliant. What I will say is that it, it gets pretty tough. And it's really good 
for anyone that need is struggling, um, they give you quite a few sliders. So sliders around the combat difficulty and how much damage you take, but also, interestingly, sliders for the puzzles. So a lot of the puzzles are time-based where you've got to do certain stuff in, you know, while something else is happening. And they give you a slider, I guess, to give you more time to do those puzzles. And some of those puzzles towards the end of the game get pretty tough. It's not mm. so much... Sometimes the difficulty is not in executing. It's actually just figuring out where to start because they'll put you in this giant room with all these different contraptions and you kind of have to figure out, wait, what am I actually meant to do here? They they give you a bit of pointers, but I can definitely see some people getting frustrated with the puzzles later on and there's a lot of them. There's dozens and dozens of puzzles. It's basically the way it works in most dungeons and the dungeons are long. Mm. They're probably about three times the size of a normal Zelda dungeon, I'd say. And the, you go in, you'll do maybe three puzzles, and then you have like a combat room. And then you do another three puzzles, and you have a combat room. So it's Ooh. very puzzle-focused in the dungeons themselves. Whereas in the overworld, it's more so about um, combat and traversing the environment. So great game. And yeah, I've also been uh, playing uh, some dodgy cheap rpgs to get my game score <laughs> are these these ones that they pump out every couple of months like a new game every every month yeah chemco publishes <laughs> uh their games that there's so many of them and they put them out now on everything and uh <laughs> you can essentially get through them churn through them in about um you know 10 to 15 hours which is short for an rpg and they're very simple um yeah. so but honestly, I actually enjoy playing them as as crappy as they are and as cookie cutter as they are. They're, I have fun with them. So, yeah. Uh, like, you know, I'm kind of actually surprised there isn't more episodic games. I know that, you know, it is a thing, but I, I still feel like with episodic games, people keep expecting more and more and more. And, you know, it feels like video games, it, it sort of should be a bit of a facsimile of movies and... TV and you know there's some TV shows out there where they'll run for like almost the whole year like you know soap operas and stuff like that I'm surprised there isn't more of that in gaming you know something well, where you, you kind of get certain characters and maybe they just throw in different scenarios or something like that I mean the Telltale games were the biggest example of that in recent you know let's say in the last generation two generations yeah um, and I think people kind of they started pumping them out so much that I think people got burnt out on them a bit. You know, there were so many different versions of The Walking Dead. Um, there were, like, two different versions of Telltale Batman. Mm. So I think that... It, I think it worked for that adventure kind of interactive uh, story style. But I'm not sure, other than Hitman, um, I can't think of any great examples of episodic content in the last... Um, let's say the last generation. Yeah. No, it's just something that strikes me that it feels like the medium could support it and it doesn't need to be the way that Telltale did it. Like, they can, you can still... It's kind of similar to what you're saying where you make something that is a bit cookie cutter. Like, you know, make a brawler and then just, you know, create, like, different levels and release it, like, once a month or something like that. I don't well, know. Well, that, that's kind of getting into the live service territory. So yeah, that's a that's- different thing, I think. You maybe know. maybe that's the the closest facsimile to it, like live like Fortnite, right? Like the seasons in Fortnite. I mean, it does actually uh, get to what I wanted to just uh, point out. Where like for me this week, obviously, I haven't been playing many games with the baby and everything like that. But 
you know, I started playing Skyrim and I was into it, but then I realized that my um, rocket pass for Rocket League was expiring <laughs> soon. And by the way, okay, like just to be straight about it, they have given the most amount of time for this season. It's like been insane. It's like late March and has run all the way up to the end of August. So this huge amount of time. Most people have rolled the clock multiple times now, and I'm only like halfway through the rocket pass. And it, you know, it works very similar to Fortnite, where if you don't do all the levels, you don't get all the credits back. So then, you know, if you want to do the rocket pass again, you have to pay for it, right? And oh man, it was bothering me so much. I was like, oh, am I just going to stay up all night trying to play this yeah. game to try to grind up to that level? I'm like, this is really dumb. I should just spend the money if I really want the rocket pass. And I think the weird thing for me with Rocket League, which, you know, I love that game so, so, so much. I kind of don't really care about the rocket pass, to be perfectly frank. It actually kind of impacts the way I play the game too much. Like, I end up playing some of the extra modes and all this other kind of stuff just to get those things ticked off on a weekly basis. And I don't get to play it that much anyway. So I'm like, you know what? I'd rather be playing 3v3 competitive than playing Rumble. But I'm playing Rumble because I need to get this, you know, eight points to kick me up. So, so is it is it FOMO? Uh, no, it's the it's the perfectionist completionist thing that's in my head. It's like the thing that drove me to get um, all the Korok leaves in Breath of the Wild. You know, or all the stuff like beat, that. Beat all the ghost times in Mario Kart DS. <laughs> yeah, that was hard. That was hard. Yeah, like stuff like that. I can I get stuck on something and then it's like, okay, I just got to complete this whole thing. Like, I, I, you know, or else I just lose it. I reckon, because I've been playing with Paper Mario, and I reckon I'll be like that with um, Paper Mario as well. And I've heard that it's it gets a bit tricky if you try to collect everything. But just because well, it has the indicators in the game. If a game says, this is your, like, you know, 80% through, I'm like, whoa, okay. <laughs> you're, you're challenging me now. So, can I ask, so you started Skyrim... <laughs> How did you approach walking into buildings and there being objects that you can pick up and take? How did you approach this? Because I I, I want to see if that whole perfectionist thing is kind of... What do you mean? Yeah. So, you know, you walk in and there's stuff everywhere that you yeah. can take in Skyrim. You know, yeah. there's there's apples in a bowl, there's things in a, in that. Yeah. How, do you, how do you approach that when you walk you in? You've got to take it actually... <laughs> See, that's, that's interesting. Why? So... How long have you played Skyrim so far? Oh, not much. I just played the opening scene, okay. basically. Let me just say, the game will train you to eventually not do that as much. Oh. Like it will, it will, it will detrain you from that. I should say, like inventory management and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. the the reason I bring it up is when I first played Morrowind. So the, you know, obviously, quite a while ago, I'd never played a game like you know Elder Scrolls before. And I just wanted to take everything to the point where I was just like having to, you know, like if people see you steal something, you know, you'll get, you know, taken away to jail and stuff. Mm. But it annoyed me so much that I stopped playing the game because I'm like, no, I want to pick up everything. That's kind of the way that I play games. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I actually ended up going to Oblivion next and not going back to Skyrim. Uh, sorry, not going back to Morrowind. And through playing Oblivion, it detrained that out of me where, no, I don't need all these different pumpkins and everything like there's there's always especially with with skyrim it's always like the joke of hey i'm gonna collect all the big cheese wheels and then i'm gonna have you know i'm gonna like pile them all up somewhere so there's funny <laughs> things you can do with that but that's why you're saying you're a perfectionist but you're also playing skyrim i'm just interested to see 
if it detrains you the same way that it did to me. I think I'm I'm really at risk because I've already started playing it and I'm like, I'm uh, kind of already like vibing this game and I know how insane it can be with the side quests. Hmm. So I've really got to push myself to just try to get through the main quest predominantly, I feel. Like that's what I really want to try to do out of it. Oh, that's not right. That's not right. So let me give you a piece <laughs> of advice. Okay. The... Generally speaking, there's obviously lots of side quests, but the there's different like I can't remember the exact guilds, like right? There's different or guilds. So like the Dark Brotherhood, the Thieves Guild, and everything. Yeah, they're actually the meat of Skyrim. The mm. main story, well, the meat of Oblivion as well. Um, so make sure that you know you don't skip those things because that's actually where the true you know value of those games are. The main quest of Skyrim, I think, is way better than the main quest of Oblivion. But the Dark Brotherhood, Thieves Guild, you definitely need to do those. They're, yeah, I've heard about those they're, ones. They're so, oh, but all the guilds, like, that's actually the meat of, of okay. those games. So. I'll see how I go. I just, I'm just conscious about how much time I have versus, you know, I want to at least... And, you know, the context here is a uh, game of some other year. You know, I want to get through, you know, the candidates that would be maybe in the top 10 of, of that kind of year. Um and, you know, Skyrim is one of those games you could put in a thousand hours from what it seems. I think um, you could comfortably put in, and I know this is ridiculous because you've, you've got a, a new baby, but you could comfortably put in, I think, 60 to 80 and be uh, you'd see, the, I think, the majority of, of the main guild and storylines. That's not going to get you through everything, but I think that would, that's, I think, probably an estimate based on my memory of playing through mm. um, both and the normal version than the uh, special edition that they put out. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, that's kind of, I was expecting like triple figures, like 100 hours or something like oh. that. So that that's that's not too bad then. No, not not to, like to see everything, yeah, but not to, I think, get through like probably the meat of the of the, the main stories and those guild stories. Yeah, I, and I mean, it sounds so dumb what I'm about to say, but, you know, I, you know, the thing about having kids, people always overestimate things and underestimate and overstate and understate. Like when you have one kid, it's it's a lot of work, but you can still manage things. But now you have a second, it's, you know, literally there's two of you and then there's two kids. And, you know, I'm spending so much more time with the elder kid, which is great. Um, but it just, yeah, I don't have much free time really. Um, and then part of it is just like trying to rest and recover and stuff like that. Because <laughs> the other night I really wanted to play Skyrim or Rocket League. Um, and then I was just like, oh, man, I'm so tired. I'm just going to go to bed at like 10.30 or something like that. So I was like, oh, what's my life become? But, um, you know, this is the tough part at the start. And that's, again, I'll just bang on about it. Like the Switch is just so good for that. Because for me, you know, I said last week that I got Apple Arcade and it just doesn't gel with me. It's just, I don't know. I feel bad because I think a lot of the games are really, really good. It's just, personally for me, I don't look at the iPhone as a gaming device. And I know it is. It's almost like it's primary use for a lot of people, but it just not doesn't make sense to me in that way. Um, and yeah, compared to that, like the Switch is just so perfect for that kind of stuff. Well, let's get into our first news item, our headliner, Gamescom. So we had the Gamescom opening night. And... It's, it's it's kind of interesting, right? So Gamescom, just generally, and for a bit of context for people, because for me, Gamescom, you know, I'd always heard of it, but I never really thought too much about it. And they always like to say themselves that they're the biggest game show in the world. 
and uh, you know, if you look at it from an expo perspective and the amount of people that come in, it's definitely number one, but I, I don't think anyone could argue that E3 isn't the biggest games expo per year. Um, but games, games comes right up there. It's probably the second biggest and it's certainly the biggest in Europe. Um, and it's, it's not been around for that long, actually. It's 2009. I thought it was long around for a lot longer. Um, and really like this year it was quite interesting because E3, they decided to really not, you know, push very hard into an E3 online experience and it was all a bit convoluted. And I think that was a big strategy error versus Gamescom where they're like, okay, we're going to run it over that four days. And then Jeff Keighley got involved as he does uh, in these kind of productions. And, you know, I thought the production was interesting. We'll probably chat about it, uh, you know, during the segment. And, you know, there was a lot of pump up about this, this, you know, opening night. And it was even referenced in, uh, in the video and at the start of it. And, and can I just say, <laughs> sweetie, so I didn't watch it live. It was like 2, 3 a.m. in Australia. But I went on, because, you know, I'm very fastidious. So I went on the proper Gamescom YouTube channel to watch the video. Have you seen that version of Gamescom, the video that they've published? No, I is that are you talking about it had like the thirty minute pre show stuff and all that or Yeah, or so it, it had like all of that seven hour video or something. No, no, it's like it's similar to the, the IGN one that you linked. Um it's pretty much exactly the same. But the one difference is the audio stutters almost all the way through the whole video. Okay. So I started watching it and I'm like, what the hell is wrong with my computer? Like, oh my god. And then I switched to my iPad and it didn't work either. And then, of course, you go to the YouTube comments and I think it was like world premiere stuttercom or something like that. And everyone's just like saying, oh my God, it's stuttering. So I didn't even know that there was a proper version of this until you sent through this IGN link. I just went, oh my God, this is like a disaster. But I think it was like most people would watch it live or on Twitter, sorry, Twitch or, you know, other outlets that uh, published it. So, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. And we'll run through some of the big games. So, uh, although, you know, yes, some of these have been announced, but Call of Duty, Black Ops, Cold War, uh, confirmed PC, current gen, next gen, and then we have the date for it, which is the 13th of November, which also is, like, super interesting, right? Because that puts it right into the hitting zone of when uh, the PS5 and the Xbox Series X is likely to come out. I mean, with at least in the case of the Xbox Series X, we know it's November this year. Um, and and I, I don't know if you've seen the news, but it seems like Microsoft is actually already backgrounding to some publishers and games companies to sort of, and retailers, hey, get ready for the first week of November. So it really does feel like that, that first two weeks is likely when it will come out. Um, and this game, developed by Treyarch and Raven Software, Seems it's been confirmed, right, that it's the direct sequel to Black Ops uh, number one. Yeah, so the Black Ops one was a huge hit and very critically mm. claimed at the time, and took a very interesting narrative, I guess, perspective on you know the the Cold War. Of course, is a very interesting time um, in recent history, as and they had kind of led into a lot of things that they moved away from in in the future Black Ops games, where they started to get to more future tech and drones and everything. So I think a lot of people are very happy that they're actually going back to this and they're continuing on what they'd set up all the way back then in uh, Black Ops 1. Yeah, yeah. And for me, in terms of um, Call of Duty, and it's funny because I always hear people say, 
you know, why don't they just call it Black Ops, you know, instead of Call of Duty, Black Ops, and then, you know, further subtitle. But for me, it's like, I don't know, I don't necessarily just go, oh, Black Ops, Call of Duty. Like, I actually think from a marketing point of view for people like me who are not super interested in the franchise, it actually does help ground it, like what it's all about. Um, and then the other thing we know is that this will be 70 US dollars for next gen, which is similar to EA's, um, it, sorry, is it EA's NBA 2K 21? Yeah, it's, uh, it's 2K. 2K, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah it's just kind of interesting what's happening around this $70 price point and it will be cross-generational. And then we've also heard that Hitman 3, that, that's coming out early next year, Epic Games Store exclusive on PC, but on uh, current gen and next gen, but it'll have a free upgrade to next gen. So, yeah, yeah it, it's similar to the last generation where there was a few different strategies that, you know, publishers had. And I just want to clarify, so that $70 version, that's the only version that's cross-generational. There is a cheaper <sighs> version that will be available for Xbox One and PS4 that won't get you that upgrade, which I but believe I- that's 60 US. So essentially that $10 US gets you the the game on both platforms. So I might be wrong. I, I think I read that you can pay $10 to upgrade. Correct. Yeah, so that's you can also do that as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Which is, yeah. which is definitely what happened in the last generation, that there was a couple of games that they were like, pay 10 bucks yeah. and then you get it, which, you know... <sighs> I think that that's fine. I know that I'm way more pro-business on these kind of things and people hate that, but like, I, I find that that's okay. If they say, hey, it's an extra 10 bucks and you can move your copy from, you know, the PS4 to the PS5, I don't really see a big deal with that. It's not a PC console. Yeah. Like, I, I just think the expectation's wrong when it comes to I, those things. I definitely don't have a problem with it, but I'm also a complete sucker and I will just rebuy games like, that one of my games that I'm looking yeah, forward Breath to of the most, wild. yeah, one of my games <laughs> that I'm I'm looking forward to the most is just the remaster of Kingdom of Amalur's coming out um, next month, and it was like sixty bucks. I'm like, yep, I'm, I'm buying that. I've already <laughs> played through that game twice, um, but I'm just a sucker because I just want to play through it again. But I I also understand why people would be frustrated because the the shift in the industry is towards um, things essentially being, uh, you know, compatible on both, and Xbox is smart delivery. So it's 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 an interesting time for publishers. I'd say publishers more developers about this because you know they're the ones making these decisions generally um, to kind of you know to really manage that. Um, yeah, and we've seen a bad way to manage that, like um, Control and Five Hundred Five Games and Remedy. And then I think you've got people that, you know, they've they've got enough sway, like Activision, to probably pull it off. It's going to piss people off. But I think, as you said, $10 extra to get it on both platforms is, is not a huge ask. However, the fact that we then, that may then segue into $70 becoming the norm um, for US, $70 US, I should say, which almost puts it in line with um, what, Call of Duty would be um, over here in Australia for a new release. So I'm interested to see if that then means that <laughs> yeah. it's going to be 110 to 120 for these, you know, for, for Australian uh, new releases like this. Yeah. I, so, you know, and for people who are in the States listening to this, because in the States, it generally is like $59 for all the games. Like, you know, there is variability, but compared to Australia, Australia, 
the games, depending on what's happening with the retailers, the currency. Like, I find that the games can be really wildly differently priced. Definitely. Um, like, a new release, generally, you're speaking probably $80 here. But then you've got games like Call of Duty, which will be sometimes, you know, 90 90 to 100 so. But then also, like, can be a lot cheaper. Like, you know, it seems, for whatever reason, in the States, you know the competition or whatever, it's sort of flattened out where everyone's just gone, you know what, like the optimal price point is 59 or 60 bucks and maybe 70 bucks in the next gen. But here, you still get like, you know, our local version of uh, Walmart, like a, like a, sorry, a Big W or a Target or those kind of stores coming in with a crazy offer to get people in the store. Um, and you're right, like I think, you know, <laughs> putting a business hat on, they'll definitely use this as an opportunity to try to bump up the average price of these games. So I feel like we're going to go back to the the 90s, really, when games were like 100 bucks in Australia. And it was pretty pretty crazy, really. I have, um, I have less of an issue with the, the latest Call of Duty doing it than I do um, the yearly NBA 2K game. Simply because... Yeah, simply because with with this game, um, not that all Call of Duty games in recent memory have had campaigns, but this obviously has a full campaign um, as well as the, the multiplayer offering. Whereas NBA 2K, while they have floated around with story modes, of course, um, they are very much, you know, iterational, a lot more than... Uh, is that even a word, iterational? Anyway, it is now. Iterative. Iterative. Um, I like iterational. I'm going to coin that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like compared to Call of Duty, I think that the experience you're going to get across those games year to year, especially to the previous year, um, is going to be a lot closer than the Call of Duty games, in my opinion. Yeah. And and just to, you know, illustrate it to people who aren't in Australia, for instance, a game like Ghost of Tsushima... It retailed from, and this is at mainline retailers, like 70 bucks Australian, which is the equivalent of about $50 um, American. And then it went all the way up to 100 Australian dollars at our bigger, like eBay games, which is about 75 US dollars. So just like, yeah, Australia's a bit wild with how, how sort of all over the place it is in terms of the cost. But, you know, I, I think the strategy here, just to kind of cap it off from a Call of Duty perspective, I haven't heard much backlash about this whole $10 fee, basically, to unlock the next gen version of it. And I think that that was a huge mistake still from um, 505 around control. Um because that game also, you need people to be supporters of that game to grow it even further. But this has now pe- made people like haters of that game, unfortunately. It's really unfortunate because it's not even uh, Remedy's fault in terms of, you know, what the publisher's doing in that space. Yeah, they had the, the added difficulty of how to handle the DLC situation, but clearly it wasn't handled well. You know, we talked about that at length. Um, yeah, I know. But it, it so. yeah. And I, I, I actually, because there was some stuff that came out after we had that discussion, you know, some of the stuff that they were saying and how it works, it's just BS. And it actually, I don't know, I'm all, you know, again, I'm more of a business person. So sometimes it is what it is and they want to get more money and that's what it is. But don't say things that are just untrue. Like, there's literally things that they've said that I'm like, that's just not true, what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Like, they were saying, basically, the store doesn't allow it. Now, yeah, you know, I'm sure probably Sony and Microsoft spoke to them offline about that, because that's, yeah, you've got to be really careful 
that they're trying to confirm things that haven't even been public yet. Mm. Um, and, and just to wrap it up for me, at least on, uh, Cold War, I, I actually really like the whole Reagan thing and the setting and how it's all structured. This had terrible reception <laughs> in terms of, especially Reagan. Did, did you have that kind of reaction of like going, oh yeah, cool. Or were you just like, meh, or were you like, oh, this is a war crime. This is terrible. Oh, definitely wasn't the latter. I, I was yeah. probably honestly a bit meh. Um, you okay. know, I'm not. These games aren't for me. I'll yeah. say that I've, I yeah, haven't so. really played any. I played a bit of World at War um, and some of the you know very early Call of Duties, but the one I played the most was you know Modern Warfare one um, nah, on the 360. So I'm definitely interested to see where the series goes year to year. But um, I'm much more when it comes to multiplayer, much more of a Battlefield person. Um, in that regard, but I yeah I I thought it was fine. I think it, it grounds the the setting when you actually have historical figures. I don't know the whole ethics of and you know like the, how likeness works because I know when someone's a a political figure in the US, how you can use their likeness is very different from you know let's say a typical celebrity. But other than that, yeah, I, I was like yeah, fine, no problem with me. Yeah, that same. And then moving on to probably the second biggest announcement from from our perspective. Well, it wasn't an, a new announcement. Well, yeah. um, the second second biggest game. Um, it's a world premiere. One- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Dragon Age Four um, was announced a few years ago, and they've only done given us fleeting updates um, since then. Gave us the most substantial update. Uh, on during uh, opening night live, but only generally just showing us concepts and development footage. So mm. the one thing that uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the, the dragon age games, especially number one, and actually quite fond of number two as well. Um, the one thing I really hope from dragon age um, four is that they, they take what worked from inquisition and kind of fine tune it a lot because when it comes came to the map design and and how you handled quests in that game it was taking it from a fairly linear um, map design to very open worldy mm. kind of lost a lot of the charm of it but oh, okay. I still love the story in the characters and they it had already known that it was going to continue at least something to do with Solus, and it was good. It seems like he's going to be the primary, uh, I guess, antagonist of this game. And I believe that it's going to be set in, and I know none of this means anything to you, Intergod, but <laughs> I'm going to oh. say it anyway. Um, I I believe I've read somewhere that it seems the game's going to be set in Tevinter, which is a huge part of the lore, but hasn't actually been really explored in the games yet. And that's really interesting because... Uh, a lot of the games have, especially in Dragon Age 2, focused on, uh, you know, magic users or mages versus non-magic users in, in number two was the Templars. And the world, this land that apparently it's going to be set in is where a lot of those magic users are set are from, or at least they're free there. So I think it's a really interesting setting um, and I'm I'm pumped for it. I just, I just don't know if it was... I don't know if it was the time to show anything yet because they just didn't have anything to show. Yeah. And for someone that loves the series and is into the series, I think this was great. For, for, for new people and people that have not had any exposure to Dragon Age before, this isn't going to get them pumped because concept footage and uh, some de- under you know very early development footage, like no textures and things, 
isn't going to excite anyone who isn't into Dragon Age already. Hmm. And it, it, it's, you know, it's it's really interesting time for Bioware. Because really, you know, Dragon Age ties together with, you know, Dragon Age 3 back in 2014. Inquisition. Yeah, Inquisition. It's sort of like the last game that was well regarded from the studio. And it's just been, you know, whether people like the games or not, I've mishaps and expectations setting incorrectly and it's just been a real struggle for the the studio and you know i haven't played a lot of uh bioware games but i've always sort of seen bioware and gone okay like that's like a gold standard triple a you know s tier kind of studio you know what Mm. i mean and uh, like in my head it's always been like that's an s tier studio okay anything that they're gonna make it's worthwhile to understand get on top of you know play and they've just they've kind of lost that they're definitely not s tier anymore you can't argue that <laughs> but um yeah i think they're they're in a spot of bother to be honest yeah this is this is a very important game for them mm. i think they will uh, unless they screw uh, screw the pooch on it i think if they the whole rumored uh, mass effect remaster trilogy as long as they don't screw that up um, they may not even have anything to do with it, but people it would still probably go a long way to get people back into the yeah. books with them. Um, but yeah, I I only played Anthem for a few hours. That game is you know technically solid, looks great, but just has no magic to it, um, has no charm to it. And I with Andromeda, I played that game uh, at least a year and a half after it first came out. So I was very lucky to not have to deal with a lot of the technical problems that um, that game struggled with. And I actually ended up quite liking Andromeda, but I completely understand why people don't like that game. Mm. This and, game and that could be very- expectations, right? Like they sort of, if you played it when it first came out and you had certain expectations, it could kind of go a bit awry, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it's a shame because they that game had a very unfinished story and will very very much probably never see the continuation and them wrapping up some huge loose ends in the Andromeda mm. story because people aren't interested in, 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 in an Andromeda sequel. They're interested potentially in a new Mass Effect game eventually, but not in Andromeda 2 or a continuation of that story. So mm. that is a shame. But this, yeah, Dragon Age 4, very important. I... I'm really keen to see how the game plays. Like that—that that sounds obvious, but it's each each of the Dragon Age games has played incredibly different in terms of how you actually how the combat works. Um, you know, they with Inquisition, it was almost a mix of the first two. This one looks almost closer to like the perspective in that development footage was closer to a Dark Souls and when it was very much over the shoulder kind of thing. So they may be taking it in a different direction again. So we'll see what, what they... Hopefully they've got some gameplay to show us, you know, probably this time next year, I'd say. Yeah. And and probably... Well, not probably. Like, this game has been restarted. So, like, this game is years and years away. Like, this might be a mid-cycle next-gen game. But before that, certainly Anthem, they're rebooting that, kind of. Like, I don't know how they've framed it, but they're basically, you know, taking it all apart and putting it back together again. Um, So, I mean, if they do that well, and it has a bit of a No Man's Sky type of narrative around how they turn that around, maybe that will sort of set, you know, a pretty good scene for uh, the new Dragon Age game to come out. I don't know. It's it's just interesting how studios can fall. 
from grace so quickly. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Rareware to some degree, you know what I mean? Where it's just, they were so bulletproof. And then, yeah, with their Microsoft acquisition, for me, just have no interest in their games that are coming out. Yeah, I and as I said, I think the, the Mass Effect trilogy um, would, as long as it's handled decently, um, I think that will help. It will. Do yeah, it. definitely. Yeah, and that's just like a no-brainer. Imagine if that came on the Switch, like that would just sell like gangbusters. Because I feel like there's a lot of people that have jumped on the Switch that may not have really been into gaming for a long time. Like I hear that from a lot of people anecdotally. So. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. Like how I, I feel like that game could be like the bestseller in December if it was released this year for the holidays, especially if it's like the like a bundle of all three games. Well, there's not that many other games around that time, so I think it'd have a good chance. Yeah, well, and, you know, Call of Duty obviously is going to be the biggest oh, seller yeah. Yeah, in a per- yeah. period of time. Um, and you know, being the launch of the next consoles, it's always an interesting time for game sales. Like. They never do as well, obviously, because it's not the install base. But um, And also, you won't even be able to get that many people, as we'll sort of allude to later in the show, onto the new consoles in the first place. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, Mass Effect, surely it's like, because they're not Nintendo. Nintendo, I look at it and I go, why wouldn't they do Metroid Prime Trilogy on the Switch? Like, that's just... Like, it won't it won't sell crazy, crazy numbers, because Metroid never does. Um but it just feels like something that would just really, you know, hit it home to a lot of people. And they just won't do it because they're Nintendo. And as I say that, they'll probably announce it next week, which I'd be happy to be wrong about. Um, but whereas, like, you know, EA, like, they want to make money, <laughs> like, obviously. And Mass Effect Trilogy would make a lot of money. So I know it's been rumoured to be in development and sort of maybe even near final. So I actually really hope it would come out. Because it'd be a good way to play it if it's a good, um, good port or even remaster. And uh, I, I, you know, there were a lot of announcements, obviously, in Gamescom opening night. I can't even remember how many they said that they had mentions, like over thirty games or something like that. And if you can include the pre-show, but we've just probably called out some of the ones that we thought were interesting. And I, I wanted to call out. Um, this trailer, and I don't know how to allude to this, it's basically, you know, there's a guy and, you know, he's running away from something, it's very sort of muted colours, green, browns, and and then you start to realise, okay, there's like zombies or something, it's a bit like Walking Dead, and then it's Bridge Constructor, the Walking Dead edition, <laughs> and I just wanted to point this out because I just thought this is such a weird, like, IP to be attached to Bridge Constructor, and then they've had what? Is it? Am I right to say that they've also had Portal? Yeah. Bridge Constructor? Yeah, they have. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, please explain. I, d- I don't understand this. I, look, I... <laughs> Walking Dead is definitely a weird... Um, <laughs> you reckon? ...thematic kind of link to it. And I will say I've never seen The Walking Dead, but I know you have. Um, yeah, I've seen almost all of it. And bridges I, aren't, like, a primary thing in The <laughs> Walking Dead. No, but I think the concept of having to, like, combine zombies, a zombie apocalypse with building bridges, yeah. I think he's actually fine. Like, that's actually not a bad idea. I just don't know if The Walking Dead was the right property to do with, but obviously it gets attention. So, yeah. It does. It does. No, it's, I mean, it's... we're talking about it. We probably wouldn't have talked about Bridge Constructor <laughs> otherwise. It was a good trailer. I always love a good trailer. I feel like if there's anything in the industry that they're doing really, really well, it's generally the trailers. 
Like, and that that's kind of almost, you know, what one of the disappointments around uh, Halo Infinite, where the trailer just didn't blow people away at all, <laughs> right? So, and, and you wanted to talk about some other games? Yeah, so Teardown um, is a cool... I, I don't even know if to call it a game at the moment. I mean, technically it is, but... It's a sandbox, almost, voxel yeah, kind of Minecrafty. So, basically, it's been... For a while, the developer's been working on, I guess, this engine that is very much, yeah, as you said, kind of a bit more detailed than, let's say, your your standard Minecraft, but very much built on completely destructible environments, so like Red Faction and and Battlefield style and things, but a lot more so. But what's interesting about this is that, like, that's that's a cool concept, but the whole point, apparently, of this game is to destroy the surrounding so that then you can do runs through them to then set you up to hit all these this is probably just one mode i I imagine but to hit different switches uh essentially on a path and then you like escape on a boat or something and that's interesting but it just seems like this would be the you know like you could do so many more things with this cool engine and hopefully that's where it's going to go but i just thought the like the engine itself looked great, and the trailer was wasn't bad, but the that as an actual game just seemed a little underwhelming. So cool tech, just the game itself. I hope is a bit more interesting than just hitting switches. Yeah, I, I just don't. It seems so strange, <laughs> and you know, yeah. sometimes these things are you know, it's the company behind it or the people or the creatives. But to me, it's like so odd that it feels like they've created this incredible engine. And very unique, really, because you're right. Like, I've watched a few videos and gameplay footage of it. It's something that you've never really seen before. It's like everything is destructible. And then they've sort of got this thing where they're like, oh, and it's a heist game. And it's like, what? (laughs) Like, I don't, like, you know what I mean? It's like they've they've taken something with, you know, here's a palette. It's, we've got every color out there. And here's the painting and you have to paint blue. It's just like, like, what? Why are you making me do this? It's, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, and I feel like you know, it, it's in early access. I'm sure they'll get feedback from people, and if they're smart, they'll react to what people are doing. And to me, this seems more like a Gary's mod or a, hmm. just a Minecraft or something like that. You know what I mean? Where it's you should be able to do whatever you want in it. And it, I don't know why they're pushing it to be like a heist sandbox. There could be a huge modding community behind it. Um, yeah, and I. Like that's where I think the magic of that game or that engine will shine. Um, and I mean, there's there've been attempts at this before, and there's probably some indie stuff out there in Steam that is similar, but maybe doesn't have the you know the there's no recognition out there at the moment. But this is the one that I think people have had eyes on for a while. This engine, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And both of these games, so Bridge Constructor and Teardown, are coming out this year. So the next one, I was super keen on but simultaneously <laughs> awesome but confused by was Turrican. so i love super Turrican. i haven't played um the original Turrican games let's say on amiga and whatnot but the you know that put those games put factor five on the map and they went on to work on um you know the rogue squadron games and and lair which is an unfortunate you know probably I don't know if we brought out Factor 5 in a previous episode, but um, they obviously went the way of the dodo. But the thing with this is they started talking about Turrican. Oh, how much influential it was on a whole bunch of developers, even though it is still a very cult game. You know, a lot of people 
don't think of when you say, oh, what are classic action games? You know, people think Contra and stuff. They don't generally think Turrican. But they didn't actually announce anything in this whole thing. So they're showing all the footage and you had one Japanese developer mention something about a collection. And it's like, okay, so is it a collection? Is it a remaster? What, what is it? They didn't actually say in this whole thing. Now, I see that you've gone and found that we strictly limited are doing a Turrican collection of the actual mm. original carts and things. But that's not like a collection that's most people are going to be interested in because they have to have those systems to play them. Oh, no, no, no. I think they have it on the Switch as well, but I think it's like two versions of it. It's really confusing. Okay. So and there is I think an people are getting quite annoyed one. with it. Yeah, but I think there's two collections. Mm. Okay. So there's one which has Turrican, Turrican 2, Super Turrican, Super Turrican Director's Cut, and Mega Turrican Score Attack. And then the rest of the Turrican games, like Turrican 3, Mega Turrican, Mega Turrican Director's Cut, Super Turrican 2, and Super Turrican 1 Score Attack are on a different anthology. It's two volumes, and you have to buy both of them if you want all the games. So are they... So they're coming it's out... on as- Switch and PS4. Oh, okay, good. Well, why didn't they yeah. say there's a Turrican collection in this? It's confused. Everyone's really confused, actually. Like, it's that's not saying I was like pumped because like, that's cool. Like, I <laughs> love Super Turrican, right? But well, can I just say about Super Turrican? I actually own Super Turrican because it's inbuilt in Analog Super NT. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's my way of uh, throwing Analog into this episode as well. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um. <laughs> So that was that was probably the weirdest thing in this whole show to me. It felt yeah. so out of place. I loved hearing anything about Turrican because I can't even remember when the last Turrican game came out, but surely it was in the nineties. Um, but oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'm probably going to get corrected on that if there was some like WiiWare Turrican game or something. But um, <laughs> but yeah, to not say anything about it. Like, I'd love to play a remaster or at least a, a collection. So the fact that there is a collection, I think, is cool because I've been having a lot of fun playing the Konami, um, Contra, and, and Castlevania collections. So, yeah. But um, I guess they also showed some other games which were previously announced, but they you know had extra, I guess, new footage of them and, and gave more detail to... First was Star Wars Squadrons. So that's uh, the essentially... I'd, I know it's not technically, but I treating it as a spiritual successor to Rogue Squadron games. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, squadrons, <laughs> and, like literally. Yeah, squadrons. So I think that's definitely what they're aiming for in a way, <laughs> um, which is coming to PC, PS4, Xbox One. Um, what, what? Why did I think October? this was a free to play game? Why did I think this was a free to play game? I have no idea because I had never had that impression about this game. Mm. But it <laughs> but, isn't a. It isn't like in the US. It's not a sixty dollar game. I think it's coming out as like a forty dollar game. I I love the look of this. Um, anything that's kind of that is going back to that Rogue Squadron style interests oh, me. Yeah. You Same. know that that there will be escort missions and things, and those are sometimes <laughs> very very hit and miss, more so miss than hit. Um, but yeah, this is obviously not obviously. This is um, excited me the most of any Star Wars game in a very long time. So. Same. Yeah. No. Same. Oh, you know, and I, I've gone blank. What was the game that came out? Do you remember the game that came out last year, the Star Wars game? Je- Jedi Fallen Order. Yes, Jedi Fallen Order. That, that seemed interesting. I was actually keeping my eye on when that goes on sale. Because, I don't know, that looks kind of cool. And I am a sucker for Star Wars. Like, I will like the games more than they should be liked. So, mm. it feels like 
you know, out of a five point rating scale, it'll bump it up like half a point just because it's the Star Wars IP. Um, and this yeah, game looks really cool. I like it. Yeah, and with Fallen Order, I am I'm actually interested in playing that. I just haven't got around to it yet. Um, you know, as a as a Dark Souls and Metroid fan, it seems like a kind of a blend of those two games in many ways. So yeah. with obviously Star Wars. Um, so yeah. another game that we hadn't heard of in a while, but one that was um, a huge hit a couple of years ago in Xbox's um, E3 conference was 12 Minutes. Mm. So this is the time loop game, and they announced that there has some star-studded voice cast of Willem Dafoe, Daisy Ridley, and... Oh my god, I can't remember the last one. Do you remember what the last actor was? Uh, James McAvoy. James that McAvoy. Right? That's right. Look at um, that. That's just from my memory. Bang. Well done. Well done. Um, <laughs> and this game seems cool. Um, mm. I don't know if it's a game I'm going to run out and get, but you know, on, on day dot. But I'm interested to see um, what it turns out like. Yeah, and look, these games are super important because. You know, at least for me, 10 years ago, it felt like every game was very similar. And I'm so glad that there's just so many indie games, but then there's also games that just present you with a different experience. It's still a game, um, but it's it's not your, you know, kind of almost cookie cutter now. Open world, you know, you're like your favorite series, Assassin's Creed. You know, you know what I mean? It's sort of like, it is a different sort of look at something. Um, and I know you probably didn't see it, but, you know, for me, it felt like it had some really strong uh, aesthetics and homage to 12 Angry Men, which is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's, it's a game that, you know, it, it's one of those ones for me, I'm not like dying to go get it, but it, if it's on sale, I, I'm not expecting it to be a super long game feels like it would be like a three-hour game. I might be totally wrong with that. Um, but it's, you know, one of those games you can play for a week and really enjoy it. And you kind of need those games, I think. Yeah, I am I put it, I guess, in the category of something like Inside, where, y- yeah. you know, it's not going to be a long game, but it's a very, I think, a very tailored experience. And in saying that, it does seem like, you know, your choices will potentially matter in this game. But we haven't probably, I don't know if we've seen any gameplay demos um, from memory. I know this game before it was announced, uh, before it was showcased at, at E3 and Xbox conference had been shown at PAXs for years before. I think it's been development since 2015. But, so there may have been, you know, there may have been showing off gameplay back then, but yeah. on the big stage in these big uh, presentations, um, you know, haven't sat there with someone actually going through it. It's always been very uh, scripted, you know, and... almost like a movie trailer in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. And probably the last game that I um, want to make mention of is surprisingly actually Lego Star Wars uh, Skywalker Saga. So I actually love the Lego Star Wars games. So <laughs> yeah, you're I, a huge fan, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say huge. I, I was a well, fan. Well, have you played most of them? So I've played a lot of the Lego games probably up until the end of, let's say, the 360 era. Um, I hadn't played, let's say, in the Harry Potter ones and some of the later Batman and Marvel ones and things like that. But the first couple of LEGO Star Wars games I loved, uh, the one where it combined them all. Um, I spent the time, got all the achievements in it, spent so long in that game. Um, And I haven't played, yeah, like I hadn't played any LEGO Star Wars games since number three, which was actually not too bad. But this one's really interesting to me because... um, I'm not sure about the most recent Lego games, but this one seems like the perspective is quite different. It's not so much the top-down yeah. um, style as much. It seems like it's 
you know, it could have just been like for effect in the trailer, but it seemed like it is very much, oh, it's much more over the shoulder and almost like a third person game as opposed to isometric and things like that. So yeah, I'm I'm keen to actually see um see this uh how this turns out because it's covering the entire saga and I love seeing how they throughout, you know, going back to my first Star Wars game, Super Star Wars on the SNES, I love seeing how they adapt <laughs> those classic scenes into each into the games in different ways yeah and i think this one's especially cool because now you know and and by the way so uh disney have said okay this is the end of the star wars saga it's done there's no way it's the end of the star wars saga no no they're gonna they're gonna have another they're gonna have episode 10 and it's gonna be about skywalkers (laughs) um but, you know, like, this game looks really cool. I, I really like it. I, I'm really digging it. And the Lego games, there was um, a bunch of them for free on Epic Game Store, so I went and played a bit of them, and they're really, really cool. I really like them. And yeah, I, I'd say... They're kind of a bit cookie-cutter, right? Like, it's almost like the same thing over and over again with different IPs, but it, it's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I quite liked the um, the Indiana Jones ones and the Pirates of the Caribbean one. Um, they were really fun. Um, yeah, I think they're they're great games just to kind of just sit down and chill out and play through them. Not very difficult if you're just looking for you know a different experience. And they're generally pretty fun co-op. I don't know if this game is co-op, but um, they're yeah they're good if you've got you know significant others or, or kids to play with as well. So yeah. And just to wrap it up, like two two things that jumped out at me. One that made me laugh was the you know in the vein of the whole bridge constructor, The Walking Dead, the whole Sims expansions. And there's so many expansions to The Sims Four, but um, this Star Wars expansion. What I don't even know how to say this name. Journey to Batu expansion, yes. and it's coming out on the eighth of September. It, it I don't know. It just seems so weird to me, <laughs> like as a mishmash. I believe isn't it based on um, the Disney World um, Star Wars world part? I think I think it's actually based on on that. Um, ah, from memory, I'm, I'm, interesting. I'm, I'm just looking it up. I don't want to get corrected on this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't but, know. I just thought it was funny and it looked you know odd to me, and it just made me think: when are they going to release the Sims on Switch? Because that just seems like the perfect home for the Sims. Yeah, I'm surprised I haven't already. I'm just looked it up. Um, I think some people have said that they think it's based on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which is the yes. world. Um, yeah, which is uh, the whole I don't know that for certain. Um, that's just something that I've heard. So Yeah, which I believe they closed down, actually, with the whole COVID stuff, which is disappointing. I do want to actually check it out one day, but <laughs> that might be about four years away. And, and just to wrap it up, like Gamescom, what did you think of it? Did it sort of meet your expectations of what you thought it was all going to be? It definitely didn't meet my expectations. Um, yeah. They, unlike some recent shows where they've tried to temper expectations, they hype this thing up as like, this is huge. You're going to hear so yeah. much stuff. They did kind of say, I think Jeff Keighley, um, I don't know if it was how public it was or it was just tweeted out, said that a lot of it's going to be games we know about. Um, but it's as I kind of went through it, like my initial reactions were quite disappointing because I was, you know, I, I, they didn't say it was going to be, but I want to hear stuff about Elden Ring and things like that. But <laughs> it's, you know, it, but like there were some cool things, but I just, I think they, 
the expectations were were set too high for this. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. And I think, you know, you don't know what you've got until it's gone, right? And there is something about having the crowds there. They give a certain flavor and just content almost to these kind of events. And not having any crowds reacting... I don't know, something about it. It's the same as sport. Like, sport doesn't feel the same without crowds. Sheesh, could you, could you imagine, they have, like, that Turrican bit playing to a live E3 crowd? <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I kind of love the cringe. That's what I miss the most of those events. You know, like, Blizzard's event, <laughs> and everyone's booing the, 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 sorry, the um, Diablo game, right? On mobile. Yeah. And if. <laughs> And then they're just, like, on the stage. And, you know, I've had moments like that presenting to big, you know, groups of people. And, you know, they've just gone wrong, which is just go against the audience. <laughs> it's like, don't you have mobiles? <laughs> it's just like, oh, no, dude, you've lost the you've lost the crowd now. Um, yeah, just, they built this up and it makes me worried about probably the last event for the year, which is uh, the Games Award, which is kind of becoming almost like, from a streamed perspective... To me, the biggest event, like single event for the year, like you know, Jeff Keighley's done a really great job at building that brand up. But I don't know, man. It, it was to me pretty rough. This whole Gamescom thing, like I was pretty, like I had it in the diary for God's sakes. And you know, <laughs> I don't know when I was started watching the VOD, I was just like, oh man, this is like just not. Oh, it's, it just drags on, you know. If, and if I think I, there is something about the crowd, you know. If I'd woken up and and watched this oh. whole thing at three a.m., I would have been so pissed. <laughs> Yeah, same, same. Yeah, no, same. And, you know, moving to our second headliner and, and kind of similar news around <laughs> how excited we were for it. Nintendo. Nintendo just dropped, shadow dropped a, a Nintendo Direct Mini partner showcase. And, like, I, <laughs> so, you know, we're following all the news and, like, really being attentive to that stuff. I was like, how did I miss this? And I think I texted you. I, I, you know, at least in my head, I was meant to text you because I, this popped up and I think I was on YouTube and it was like, oh, this is 20 minutes ago, Nintendo Direct Mini. And it was like the proper YouTube, like Nintendo channel. I was like, huh? Is it, have they just shadow dropped a Nintendo Direct? And, you know, like, you know, before jumping into the overall thoughts and I'm kind of going to do it, I feel like they're doing this because they sort of, this is not that exciting and we don't want to build up any hype to it. Because even with the indie one, when they were trying to temper expectations and just go, hey, look, this is what we're going to show. And the other partner showcase, which was even very poorly received, you know, I think they're just, hey, we're just trying to get it out there. What, what, what do you reckon? Oh, I agree. I actually probably, you know, preferred this one to the last one they had. Um, I think this... Do you mean the indie one or do you mean the partner showcase? The partner one. Yeah, so yeah, the, yeah. The partner I, I like this one way more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I... We 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 had a lengthy talk when we reviewed that first one about people being their ridiculous expectations and yeah, yeah. just looking at I think when I when I was watching it uh, yesterday there was like fifty fifty k um, positive on YouTube and there was forty k negative I'm like oh really yeah people just oh, people I want that stuff people man. want the big announcements they don't want these little things and it's it's getting quite annoying in a way. Like this is just it a is, normal yeah. thing. Hey, we've got some games. We, we want to update you. They're not saying we've got these huge announcements. It's just like, here's, here's a, here's some third party stuff. We just want to tell people about, and they had some new games to show. 
you know, games I've yeah. never heard about that are actually seem cool. So, and, and you know, like I think one of the challenges that I have with this stuff is it's almost like these videos have become the new version of a press release. And in the old days, you don't go, oh, here's a press release. Oh, okay, you got to see everything. You know what I mean? It's like you yeah. need to go, oh, this is what's interesting. This is not. But they're getting so good at producing these things now that people really look at it and just view it as like, oh, my God, I need to, like, you know, get across this and, and understand everything. And then, yeah, it builds that hype up. And-, and it was like 11 minutes. They didn't spend very long on every game. Yeah. They just went through them. They didn't have, like, a 10-minute cutscene like they did for World of Warcraft and the Gamescom, which was just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's let's talk about some of the stuff that they announced. Yeah, and I'll go to the one that I was most interested in, but it's also, uh, you know, there's a bit of caveat to it, Poyo Poyo Tetris 2. So my wife is like obsessed about this game. She was ranked 100 in the world or in Australia or whatever it was. She was very good at this game. Um, and, you know, I showed her Poyo Poyo Tetris 2 I'm like, hey, look, it's a sequel. And she's like, I can't even tell the difference. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of thinking that as well. I was watching it going, I've seen her play it a lot. I've played Poyo Poyo Tetris a bit. And I'm like, I can't really even tell the difference. And the thing is, I don't know if you know uh, Poyo Poyo Tetris, but there's a story to it. You can actually like have an adventure mode. And the story is horrible. And it's like... What it's are you expecting? Really... No, but dude, it's. I mean, it's worse than that. Because if it's just bad, okay. But it's full of like sexist stereotypes like homophobia, it's crazy. Like, I was watching it going, wow, this really feels like it's taken from, like, a different time or a different culture and it's just been translated, like, directly. It's taken from Japan, that's why. I know, but normally what they do is they soften this stuff, but this is, like, almost direct translations, right? Man, the amount of, of, especially, like, we talked about those Kemco games that I play. Oh, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, there's some rough stuff in those. Like, there's seriously, like, implied incest and things in those. It's yes. ridiculous. And, but it's I'm, played up for laughs. It's like, oh, and, and lo- <laughs> she's my little sister. Don't you like little sisters? It's like, come on, really? You're throwing this in into <laughs> these little RPGs? <laughs> so, I might be wrong, but I'm I'm fairly sure that the first Boy of Boy Tetris had some kind of, like, incest jokes. And I was looking, I'm like, is this, like, an incest joke? I'm like, what? And... It seems like one of the big things from this game is the new adventure mode. <laughs> like, no one's playing this game for the adventure mode. It's so bizarre. And I think the other thing is, this game to me is a bit weird because, you know, specifically for Switch. So, this is coming out for more than the Switch. It's coming out for everything. But on the Switch, you've got Tetris 99. And you can, you know, buy the DLC to play all the modes of Tetris. And it's a great version of Tetris. And then you can just buy Poyo Poyo directly. So yeah, like Poyo who's Poyo buying Champions this is actually really, really good. Yeah, which is basically just they've extracted the Poyo Poyo out of this game. Mm. So, uh, you know, I just think it's weird. For me, it was like the biggest thing for this whole Direct. I was like, oh, that's kind of really weird that they're making a sequel to this game. And I guess, you know, the original Tetris on Game Boy had a sequel, Tetris 2. So, there's history there. Um, and, and second is, and I'm going to butcher this name, Taiko no Tetsujin. Is that right? Yeah, why, why am I not getting you to say this? Because you actually know Japanese. <laughs> I know, at least know how to pronounce it. Taiko no Tetsujin. So, and is this the first time it's coming out to the West? Uh, well, this particular thing. So these are like um, RPG games, and I believe this is the first mm. time they are. They did put out a, a one of the Taiko games on the Switch already um, a, a little while back, but I think it may have been closer to the... I'm not sure, but I, my assumption is it's closer to the actual rhythm 
um, games that like the arcade games and things like that. But um, yeah, the this actually looks pretty cool. Um, these I've only ever played this game once in an arcade, the original Tyco. Uh, I guess it was the original Tyco game. But yeah, this looks pretty neat. Anything that's kind of you know got the quirky quirkiness that this does uh, is pretty appealing to me. So yeah, and we should just say like a rhythm game, like a drum rhythm game, right? Yeah, Tyco drums. Yeah, yeah, and they actually are releasing like it, it, you can order it not in Australia but in the US the the drum like I think at GameStop, which is pretty cool. I, I if they release that in Australia, I'd definitely think about getting it because I think we both love rhythm games. Um. And I was kind of sad that all the rhythm games died away, just with the, you know, just too many of them, really. Mm. Um, And this was very, uh, you know, rhythm-heavy direct as well. Yeah, I think that's also led to a lot of people being frustrated because I think they did almost, like, they did back-to-back Kingdom Hearts, which we'll get to in a moment, and then this game, so it's like... And then another rhythm game as well. There was three in a row. I think to start with it. So people were like, oh, this is a rhythm direct. <laughs> I read a um, comment somewhere. I'm disappointed the tank game wasn't a rhythm game. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, the tank game. So World of Tanks Blitz. So this is the port of the mobile game. Um, and in the underlying game, World of Tanks, very... How do you describe it? It's not like a... It's not... Because it's a massive game, but it's one of those games that's a bit under the radar for most mainstream gamers. I'm not sure what you call that, like cult, I guess, cult gaming classic or favorite. I wouldn't favorite, say right? cult. I just say it's kind oh, of a pop- really? it's a popular niche game. Um, but I like- feel like people, if you ask people, that there's a lot of people who wouldn't even know what this game is. But I mean, when World of Tanks was at its uh, at its height of popularity, like it was a very well known property. Okay, no, yeah. fair enough. Like in the Xbox 360 era. Yeah, and it started on PC and that, but then they, you know, brought yeah. it to consoles. Um, it's and it's a huge money maker, and I, I can't remember. I think they've done World of Battleships or something. They've done another version of a, you know, of I guess warfare. But yeah, I'm. I mean, honestly, the game does not appeal to me one bit. <laughs> I'm just gonna put it out there. <laughs> well, you know, always with these things, I don't like when the mobile version gets ported to the Switch. Happens, and maybe a there's a reason why that's. Hey, what was that? happens a lot yeah i know and i really don't like it like i feel like it's not a good strategy as well like yeah just kind of burns your ip on the switch for me because a lot of people have had backlash over those type of games so you know i'm same boat as you not very keen on this game would be more keen if you know it was the actual proper version of it so a game (laughs) a game that i'm keen on or at least yes really is yeah big rumble boxing creed champions this game Man, I'll tell you why. So, yeah, not yeah, only yeah. do I love the Rocky movies, um, I've got to yeah. I've got to watch the latest Creed, uh, Creed Two or whatever it was called. I haven't seen that yet, but Creed Two, yeah. And the did you ever play the Rocky game on GameCube? No. Oh, uh, it was probably on other systems as well, but it was it was actually really really fun. It was really cool. And if this game is even half as good as that, I'm pumped to try this out. It looks pretty bad, but. It also looks very arcadey, you know. So I'm, I just love Rocky. I just want to just put that out there. That's all. So I'm all for <laughs> arcadey. I'm like probably more into games that are arcadey, but the game looks it looks worse than, than a mobile game. Oh, it looks bad. It looks bad, but I don't care. Dude, like it looks as long really, as, I, as, long really as I can knock out um, uh, Clubber Lang as Ivan Drago, that's all I want. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but it does, it's got to be a mobile game, right? Uh, apparently not that I could see. Hmm. Um, okay. Research, it, you know, trying to get things right. Uh, all I could find was that it's also coming to PS, PS4, PC, and Xbox One. God, hmm. imagine what Xbox One and PS4 are going to look like, and PC for that matter as well. <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, I, whether it's just super unoptimized for Switch, because it looks... Yeah, it looks really. Oh, rough, it's a super dude. budget game, but it's uh, yeah, like that that Rocky game on GameCube is what's actually made me interested in it. I don't think it's involving this, any people worked on it at all. I'm just like, hey, it's it's a Rocky game. Because I'm yeah. just looking at Xbox games from back in the day that were boxing games, like oh, the original Xbox. That that that. <laughs> That a uh, Rocky game, I reckon, actually in my memory looked better than this game. <laughs> no, it looks so bad. Anyway, another yeah. game that um, I don't know if this was previously announced. I don't think it was. Was a collection of Saga Final Fantasy. No, nah, this wasn't games. announced. Yeah, this was awesome announced. because I've only yeah. ever played the first Final Fantasy Legend, um, and I only ever played it on emulator. I think and didn't put a lot of time into it. But man, just making it so that these games are. There's avenues to play these games uh, if you don't own the original copies and you don't want to mess around with, you know, the murky world of emulation. I well, just you can love buy an analog pocket. They're very easy to buy. And but then you need to still track games. down the games to buy play them. True. Yeah. So if you don't, uh, then if you don't want to do that, then again, that's emulation <laughs> world. But it's it's interesting because they're all Game Boy games and they don't think they were Game Boy Color like number three or anything from you know they didn't look they didn't show them looking like Game Boy Color games I should say so I'm keen I'm always keen to try these but these collections just like the um, Secret of Mana collection um, they're just so overpriced oh they're just so ridiculously expensive yeah so that's but you know what it makes sense from a away. pricing yeah but it makes sense from a pricing strategy point of view to make them overpriced I know just. It's just time, so I'm just like, oh man, I wish this had gone so. Because the problem is, it's not that they're not worth it. I've just got it's that whole situation where you've got so many other games. Yeah. So you kind of like, I'll pick it up if it goes on special. But uh, yeah. In terms of other things that I'll. Well, well, before you move on, do you want to do the obligatory? These aren't, you know, the. These aren't actually Final Fantasy games kind of thing. Ah, uh, no, because I, I definitely don't know enough about that to... I'll get that wrong. So all I'll say is they're Game Boy Saga games. There we go. What? So the weird thing is, because the way they're advertising this is, they're actually being really clear that these are a part of the Saga series. Yeah. Which is a totally different series to Final Fantasy. But originally when they came out, you know, Final Fantasy Legend. Yeah. Um, and the same thing happened with Final Fantasy Adventure. And then, you know, they had that collection, as you just said... And yeah, it's kind of interesting how they're kind of just saying both at the same time. It's like, it's a collection of Saga and then it's Final Fantasy. I'm like, I love Square Enix's, you know, naming conventions. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's like crazy. And we're going to get to that right now. Yeah. So previously announced was a Kingdom Hearts Melody of Memory. So that's a rhythm game set, obviously, the Kingdom Hearts universe. Hmm. So this is coming out to this is coming out actually mid November uh, to not only obviously Switch but also PS4 and Xbox One. The only reason I want to point this out is I actually recently played through Kingdom Hearts for the very first time ever. Um, I'd only <laughs> ever done like the first hour or so uh, on the PS2, and so now I'm actually anytime I see Kingdom Hearts now I actually understand a lot more of like 
they were going through Traverse Town in the trailer. I'm like, oh, I recognize that music and things. So um, <laughs> the thing is, I want to still need to play through number two and uh, what's Birth by Sleep and Chain of Memories and all these bloody the side ones that they have got so many of them. But it's yeah, like that's the only thing is I'm kind of going to make it a goal of mine to get through all the games by this time next year. So really, like even the ones that are exclusive on certain mobile phones. No, just the ones that have ported in those collections. Um, okay. And the, the ported, the ported. I mean, there's like eight games in those collections, so they're the ones that um, I guess are the most important for understanding the story, which apparently gets super convoluted because the first Kingdom Hearts was pretty simple. Um, oh, really? The story. The first one was, but then it apparently goes all apeshit. So we'll see whether or not that's the case or not. But um, <laughs> the other thing I want to mention here was um, Jump Force Deluxe. Edition. So Jump Force was released a couple of years ago on a bunch of platforms and didn't get a very good reception. And it's such a shame because it's got some characters from, you know, a whole bunch of uh, Shonen Jump series. And one of my favorite all-time shows, um, maybe my favorite, is Hunter Hunter. And there's no way, there's no Hunter Hunter games that they release out here, um, really. And they've got some of the characters in this game and I really wanted it to be great. And that was on Game Pass and I downloaded it and man, the game sucked. It's just, <laughs> I just played horribly. So just, it's, I just want to say it's such a shame that, you know, I, I hope this version just sounds like it's that with all the DLC, but I hope at some <laughs> point they'll make, you know, Jump, was it, I can't remember, Jump Superstars, I think it was on the DS. That wasn't actually too bad, but yeah. Anyway. So it's gonna it's gonna be the complete version of the crap game. Yeah, and the last thing I just want to point out: so they're releasing Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles on Switch as well as PS4. Well, it's released. Mobile. It's released. Yeah. So you've got a PSA here, right? Yes. So to do not buy the game if you currently live in Australia, New Zealand, as it's if trying to connect. If you want to play online, online co-op, because it tries to connect to the EU servers, right? And it doesn't work, and it just times out. So, so I actually had a, everyone. I had a different PSA. I didn't note it down here. Oh, is that okay. this game was originally a local co-op game. There's no local co-op in it at all. So just a heads up about that if people expect you to play like the original Chris Chronicles. Yeah, this whole game was very strange. So like in terms of its development. So we didn't cover it, but because we sort of, you know, we had so many other stories, but they actually came out and said they can either have local co-op or online co-op they were only going to have one or the other from a budget perspective and the team decided that online co-op is the way to go more people play online which is 100 percent true mm. from a stats point of view it does seem strange to me from such a big studio that you know they're not investing in that local co-op given that as you pointed out the game was so famous for that you know so it's one of the the marks of that game why wouldn't you want to bring that back in it's like if they release a golden eye remake or something like that and didn't have local co-op i just feel like that would be strange but you know what it'd probably happen um but yeah in this case given that it's such a core feature for some people like in australia new zealand or you know probably any other countries that are remote like uh south africa it, it seems like they've only got a couple of servers worldwide probably europe you know japan and and north america and for whatever reason australia is attached to eu and it only tries to connect through the eu and by the time it gets routed comes back everything it times out so it seems like no one has confirmed that they're able to play it in australia 
Um, so it's just like a, it's such a mess. Strange. And I've heard very negative things about this game. It seems like they haven't really updated the game at all in terms of like load times and all this other kind of stuff. So yeah, it's a bit of, bit of a shame. We're talking about a mess. Oh, our, our third headliner and final headliner for, for the show today, uh, Apple versus Epic part three. And I and I do think like we're probably not going to have much more news on this for a while. Um, but yeah, there's, that, a, there's you a... say that I reckon we'll <laughs> be here next week. Oh, I don't think there's anything happening in court in the next few weeks. So just an update from last time. Um, so you know, as we sort of said it originally, Epic had pushed an update to Fortnite, which completely violated. And I think everyone agrees, completely violated the App Store guidelines and also the Google Play guidelines. But you know, Apple's the big kind of ticket of the story. Um, so then Apple booted off Fortnite, Epic retaliated and sort of said, Hey, you know, we're going to take your quarter about this. They had the whole parody video around free Fortnite. Apple then struck back even further and actually said, okay, well, we're going to remove all of your access to iOS. So as we know, Epic, uh, not only, you know, have Fortnite and they also have, uh, Psyonix, which make Rocket League, one of the best games ever in their umbrella and the Epic game store. But they also do the Unreal Engine, which is probably the big thing that they've done in the last 20 years that really pushed them forward. And, you know, basically they were saying, okay, we're going to remove your developer access. They weren't going to be able to update any sort of Unreal Engine associated iOS things. And it was going to cause massive havoc. Um, So they went for an emergency restraining order against Apple. They actually did win that. So there's a couple of things that happen. There's two basically court cases that are happening at the moment. One is around, can they basically do a different payment service as they call it? And the second one is, can they get access back to the app store so that they can update Unreal Engine for other developers? So the judge said, you know, it it is going to cause too much harm to third parties. So they certainly don't believe it's fair what Apple's done in the initial kind of restraining order. That doesn't mean the case is closed. So that will be a court case that they'll have about that around can Epic maintain their access to the developer tools from Apple. And then on the other side of the fence is like, you know, they wanted a restraining order against Apple to put Fortnite back up. And the judge basically said, well, you've, you've created this own situation. You were happy to sort of put the game up there in the initial case with this sort of setup and you can't expect Apple to do it for free. So, you know, the initial sort of response was to deny the restraining order. So Fortnite is off the App Store. And then, you know, we also had Microsoft coming in and filing. So they had the one of the GMs, a very senior role in Microsoft in the Xbox team, coming in and supporting Epic, like directly, and then also supporting the Unreal Engine. So you're getting another party involved in this, which is pretty wild. And then finally, like just happened actually today as we're uh, recording, that Apple has terminated epic's game epic games uh, developer account so that means that's their publishing account so anything they've published so fortnite which was already booted off but it also means infinity blade which is a game that i actually own now i can't even download it so it's off the ios store completely um and then yeah they've confirmed that epic uh with the new fortnite seasons that are coming out people who are playing on ios will not get the season like the updates to the season pass or anything like that and then just the last thing i wanted to mention which i thought was very epic and very tim sweeney that they snuck in an update and this was a maintenance update so it's only really meant to be 
you know, for changes that, you know, are not like very obvious. Um, in a maintenance update, they snuck in the Tart Tycoon, which is the, the character that's trying to sort of say the evil tycoon, which is Apple, and they've called it the Tart Tycoon. They've snuck it into the iOS release of Fortnite with the last update that they could do to Fortnite itself, which is a big FU to Apple. Um, yeah, this case has got massive legs. It's probably going to be decided next year or even the year after, and it's going to have huge ramifications on what happens. Um, and I, I still don't really think that Epic will win the case. And I think their case against Google is going to be way more compelling because, you know, Google has kind of gone out and said, yes, it's an open marketplace and architecture. And then they've forced manufacturers to back off deals that they've done with Epic directly. So I think they're in real trouble from my perspective, reading up about it and reading through the filings uh, on the Google side and not so much on the Apple side, but... Yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting, you know, people are going to get new iPhones, new iPads, kids, all this stuff in the holiday season, they will not be able to get Fortnite on the new phones, that's the way that it works on Apple. Do you have any thoughts on it, or are you just over this uh, this case that I love talking about? I've got three letters, E-S-H, so if you've ever what seen this, if you've ever seen the subreddit, Am I the Asshole on Reddit? One of, the, <laughs> yeah, I love that. one of the responses people can put is ESH, which is everyone. I haven't seen that one. Which is everyone sucks here. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm just, I look. If I'm going to take any side on this, then you know, Epic, Epic are trying to push for changes that seem like they're going to be beneficial to developers and, and consumers. But I just, man, I. I'm interested to see the outcome of this. Um, I'm kind of over the the little niggling uh, bits of how it's all going myself. But. Yeah, yeah, no, no, and yeah, yeah. It's 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 a big game of poker, really, that they're playing with each other, and they're they're both parties are losing a lot of money right now. But I think ultimately, yeah, Epic is really trying to drive down ultimately just this thirty percent to a more quote unquote reasonable number. And I must admit, 30% does sound insane that Apple, Google, Nintendo, PlayStation... I mean, on the consoles, and even Tim Sweeney has said this himself, on the consoles, given that they often sell the consoles at almost like no profit just to get people on that whole architecture and then make their money on the actual, you know, this the games that are sold on the console, I kind of get it a bit more. But with Apple, I mean, you're not... They're selling their phones at a profit, a big profit as well, you know? So, yeah, 30% just seems really crazy on, like, an in-app purchase that, from a marginal cost perspective, is basically zero. So, it's completely free money for them. So, but yeah, we'll see how the case goes. But let's uh, let's move on. So, my favorite story of the week, by far, <laughs> is a new announcement about a Monster World 4 remake. I Look... If anyone doesn't know the Monster World series, they may at least know the wider series, which is known as Wonder Boy. So that's uh, yeah. obviously Wonder Boy is very, especially the first one. You know, it's very was very popular in arcades and one of the most popular Master System games. And they've announced uh, this week, leading up to Gamescom, that a remake of the Japan only uh, Mega Drive uh, 1994 classic Monster World Four. Um, titled Wonder Boy Asher in Monster World, which is just 
whole lot another level of confusion which i'll get to but this uh this remake um originally then the story was oh it's a continuation in the series it's a sequel but um news has since come out that apparently say it's a remake now we'll see apparently there's meant to be gameplay potentially shown across the gamescom weekend so i'm looking out for that um that should be obvious from the gameplay what it is because you'll be able to see the level layouts and things like that and i actually um played through this game only a couple of years ago and monster world 4 is brilliant it is actually it you know 1994 so it came out quite late in the mega drive kind of lifetime uh, especially in japan and it is actually one of probably the best mega drive game i've ever played myself um yeah like so i've played through a bunch of you know monster world wonder boy like whatever they're called <laughs> i just find that the series and you know what to be fair like if i think about nintendo and you know think about all the game boy advance releases you know the whole Super Mario Advance 1, 2, 3, 4, and then what games they actually referred to in the series. That's completely convoluted. Oh, this this but, takes the cake over that, though. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But Well, yeah, that that's kind of the big thing for me, because I just, like, I can't even navigate the series. It's hard for me to even, like, get into it, because it's so, like, what am I even playing? So, <laughs> you know, what, what are these games called? What I'll say to anyone that doesn't know much about Monster World 4 is that um, there's a female protagonist named Asha, very similar in design to Shantae in a lot of ways. I wouldn't surprise yeah, me. Yeah, she looks if, like Shantae. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if this game um, essentially influenced the the Shantae series. Mm. But the the game itself is actually absolutely fantastic. Like from a gameplay and design standpoint, it's so such a good game. Um, and it was part of the Sega Ages collection, Monster World collection that came out on Xbox 360 and PS3. I imagine. Um, where they had, let me just bring up my list to make sure I got this right. They had uh, the second game, Monster Boy, Wonder Boy Monster Land. Then they had the fifth game, which was Wonder Boy Monster World. And then they had Monster World Four. Um, but this this game, so this is apparently a remake from Studio uh, Art Dink, and is actually being made with uh, members of the original Wonder Boy creative team, including the actual created series uh, Ruichi Nishizawa. And it's been announced for PC, PS4, and Switch in early 2021. And this is actually interesting. So in recent, let's say last five years, there's been a whole lot of movement in this series, in the Wonder Boy series. Mm, so first in actually, yeah. 2016, there was a remake of the first Wonder Boy. Then there was the very acclaimed remake of Wonder Boy 3, um, which was Wonder Boy The Dragon's Trap in 2017. And then there was a brand new series called Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom in 2018. And those last two games are essentially on, um, you know, PS4, Xbox One, and, and Switch. And the weird part is when you include this game, that means all four of these most recent games, they're actually all made by different developers and all published yeah. by different people. It is know, but so that's weird. so weird about it. It is that's super so weird, weird about it. Uh, it yeah. is super weird. And when we talk about that series, the history, so basically the way it works, right? I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's just a minefield, but the original Wonder Boy was, um, you know, came out on arcade and ported to a whole bunch of systems. Mm. I remember the I played Master, that game. I remember the Master System one the most fondly myself. That game was ported by Hudson Soft to the NES and MSX as Adventure Island. Then that whole series was its own thing. So let's just forget about Adventure Island, but they, there's, oh, they're, connect, okay. they're connected to that first game. So mm. th- that's that's its own weird confusion there. I didn't even know that it's an adaptation of Wonder Boy. 
Yeah. It makes so much more sense now. Yeah, because he's riding the skateboard, and he's throwing yeah. the... Um, and I think <laughs> he was named in uh, in our territories as Master Higgins um, in the Adventure Island games. But uh, they became their own very different thing. Then there's essentially been... There were essentially six games, um, you know, the original Wonder Boy, then... Um, Wonder Boy Monster Land, then Wonder Boy 3, and then Wonder Boy, different Wonder Boy 3 on Mars System, The Dragon's Trap. <laughs> then they had Wonder Boy Monster so World and Monster World 4, and they're kind of like the six classic ones that was from 1986 <laughs> to 1994. But of those six, only four of those are part of the Monster World series. <laughs> and if you look at the Japanese titles of them, it makes more sense. But when you start looking at the, um, I guess, the international titles, I mean, Monster World 4 never came out internationally anyway. But there's, there's no indication that there's a whole Monster World series. But in Japan, there was. It was like a sub-series. But this this is, yeah, I'm super excited for this. I'm looking forward to gameplay. If it looks anything uh, like either of um, the, the Monster, the Dragon's Trap re- remake or... Um, Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom, then I'm all for it. I've heard amazing stuff about Monster Boy in the Cursed Kingdom, which was an entirely original sequel to to the games. So I'm absolutely pumped for this. Just, uh, yeah, the whole titling of Wonder Boy Asher in Monster World is just, <laughs> it just continues the series legacy. It's so on brand of just confusing titles. I love it. It is. And I'm so glad you've explained this because Dragon's Trap, I think I played the demo or. Maybe I've got the game. And by the, um, by the way, I, no, I, sorry, no run sheet. If you look at that tab, that <laughs> yeah, I am, I am, yeah, yeah. It's really we should publish this. This is helpful. It, you know, like I was like, oh, this is a really cool game. It's hand drawn art. It looks awesome. Yeah. And then Monster Boy and the Cursed Kingdom came out. I was like, huh? Is this like the same people? Like I don't. I, don't, I was kind of confused. They were so <laughs> close together. I remember. Yeah. I think Monster Boy got potentially announced. Before the Dragon's Trap remake, Dragon's Trap remake had come out, I think. And everyone's like, wait, what's happening here? Is this another remake? Or no, it's an original thing, you know, but it's different developers. What What the hell? And it reminds me of um, basically the prime angry video game nerd, you know, 10 to 15 years ago <laughs> yeah. videos. And there was a video he did where he's talking about Rambo and yeah. First Blood and all that stuff. That kills me every time. <laughs> Like, and it's, oh man, I, I don't, there's no way he covered Wonder Boy, but it, far out. I'd love to see his take back back in those days on Wonder Boy, because it no, is so confusing. But no joke, Monster World 4, the Mega Drive game, and I say Mega Drive because it never came out in the US, so it's definitely Mega Drive in Japan. Oh, I um, like that. Yeah, true. But it's, that game is really, really good. So... Like if this is just a new coat of paint on the on the game, it will be a fantastic game. Just the core gameplay itself, and they they kind of the thing I didn't realize with Monster, <laughs> I, I keep on trying to refrain from saying Monster Hunter World, um, with with Monster World and Wonder Boy and things like that is like they've got like a Metroidvania type of feel to them. Yeah, so I can't speak for Wonder Boy. Th- Three Dragon's Trap, but I believe it was. But I know Wonder Boy Monster World, which was the fifth game, mm. that definitely had uh, Metroidvania. I'd say closer to maybe Zelda Two is very kind of you know where it's scaled back. Um, yeah. But with Monster World Four, it had a whole tub hub town area. Um, but then you went into the individual, I guess, uh, lands, and then you came out of them again. 
back to the hub world with new abilities and, and new things like that. So definitely, um, you know, I think when when did a uh, Super Metro come out? Was it ninety three or ninety four? 94. 94. So the fact that this came out the same year as Super Metroid, Monster World 4, if this had come out to other uh, outside of Japan, I think this would be super fondly remembered. But it yeah. never did. It's such a shame. Yeah. And, you know, it's one, definitely one on the docket that we need to add. It's funny when you said Super Metroid because it's like burnt into my brain, the copyright, like in the year, <laughs> 1994. But, you know, the thing that I thought was interesting because, you know, for most people, they'd consider Super Metroid and then Castlevania Symphony of the Night as being the kind of genre starters of that Metroidvania title. Um, you know, there was even recent articles recently around some of the creators of these games, and they were actually sort of saying that Zelda was a huge inspiration for those games. Hmm. And when you think about it, you know, like, the, especially like Link to the Past, it's kind of that, you know, you want to go get this item, go through this dungeon, get this thing, and then it unlocks something else in the world. So it's kind of like moving from that perspective to a platformer perspective, and it is kind of like that kind of game. Yeah, definitely. Mm, cool. Is there anything else you wanted to cover on the Monster World 4 remake, no, potential no, remake? What I might do is um, if when if they do put out actual gameplay or a trailer, uh, maybe we'll just touch on it next week if there's any yeah. corrections or any kind of cool things that came out from it. Yeah, and it's coming out early 2021. Yep. Something to keep an eye on. All right. Now we're going to move to the discless Ubisoft. I got to say this carefully and slowly. Ubisoft Xbox Special Editions. Um, so this came out a little while back, but basically all the collector editions for the big Ubisoft games, at least in the UK, uh, won't have a physical disc. And they've actually confirmed that with PlayStation, it will come with a physical disc. So Assassin's Creed Valhalla... Watchdog Legion and Far Cry 6 will come with a digital key and not with a disc. I'm not a big collector of collector's editions. Like, what is your take on this? It it does... I think it, it kind of sucks for people that want the option to have the disc. But the whole I think the whole point of the collector's editions are often the things that they come with. The physical, yeah. you know, statues or art books... Um, the weird part for me, so the Halo 5 did something similar. So they had a limited collector's edition back in 2015 and they had a steelbook game case and the digital code. So that was re- absolutely ridiculous because oh, why do you need a steelbook? Oh, what, what they had the steel case. Yeah, Damn. so they had a game case but no disc to put in it. <laughs> so it's like, what's the point? <laughs> That's and bad. That's back, bad. Back then it caused them mind a bit of uproar and then 343 um, essentially allowed people to actually swap the digital with the physical disc right so that was back then so that's how they handled it this I mean this is very specific it's it's UK Xbox Ubisoft so it is it's very narrow but it is I think a it's a telltale sign of just you know digital really just taking over um, yeah and you know it's kind of interesting to me because you know, and I, was, I had to check this. So, Battlefield 1, you know, there was a collector's edition where they didn't have the game itself. So, it wasn't like a physical or digital version. And I kind of get that more, to be honest. Like, I, you know, if I could have got a Breath of the Wild collector's edition that didn't actually have Breath of the Wild at all in it, I probably would buy that. So because it's, almost, I, I, it's almost like a merch pack. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'd, I'd be all up for that. Like, that'd be fine for me because, 
you know, it gives you the option to have a digital version or a physical version. And you just go get it and then you can get it on sale or you can have a deal. But I find that with the special editions, it's just such a crazy markup with the game. Like the game becomes like full RRP version of that game. Um, But yeah, like back in the day when they did release that without the game itself, man, people really did not receive that well. (laughs) So I've read a few things. uh, I was looking up an example. I can't remember the game, but um, there were stories that reported on it. Turns out it was actually, you know, like the, it was a collector's edition of the guide. It wasn't the actual game itself. So I'm just making sure that Uh, wasn't the case of Battlefield. Battlefield probably wouldn't have a guide, would it? Because that didn't really have you know that no because even with this it actually says like it, it seems like they've had to really like call it out and say that this game does not include the game like there's a version of it that didn't include the game there's a okay. version that did include the game you know what i mean yeah so like they had a they had the special edition that didn't have the game in it to me i'm like i'm i, I like that but yeah I it just, was not well received the most interesting part of this to me is actually the fact that it's specific to Xbox and of course when we talk yes that's so when weird. we're talking market share you know Sony Sony is it just craps all over Xbox in terms of the amount of PS4s out there it but it's still it's is it I wonder if it's a like a test case like it's a sample to see how if people accept this and then they'll oh, start I, to I so. roll it out to other regions I don't think so, man. I, I I think if they did that, they'd do it for both PlayStation and for Xbox. I feel like this has to do something with the operational considerations in their region. Okay. Be- because there's also some issues in the UK and Europe in general and with some publishers now because they've gone to court with the European Union around pre-orders and then being able to return digital games. It's happening in Australia as well. Like that whole space is becoming really interesting. Um, but where I mean, but in, a, in, in yeah, go on. So sorry to cut you, but wouldn't that impact the general Xbox versions as well as collector's editions? Essentially, it's just the it's just the normal game that they've slotted into the pack. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like my gut feel would be it's much more operational than some kind of test because they would. They. I don't think they would do it just on. Xbox only and not PlayStation as well. I mean, you, you're you probably going to have less of an uproar if it's only on Xbox. Well, I mean, this has caused an uproar, though. Yeah, I don't think it's as big as it would have been if it was across both platforms. But I understand it's it it's probably is an operational thing, but I my thought would be that it, that would have impacted, unless there's specific, um, unless maybe the if it was a steel case or something originally that they were planning on, um, the actual box of the game itself should be the same as, you know, the version, just maybe for slightly different slip cover. So, mm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. But yeah, look, like, this whole thing around, uh, you know, you go in, buy a game, and it's just digital code, I feel like that's, that's actually just getting... It's kind of almost the end of retail, right? Mm. Um, but I think that's where we're going. Because, to be honest, it does... You know, especially with the Switch, because the Switch... You can't gift games. So if I say, hey, I want to get this game. Well, you know, like if someone wants to buy for me as a gift, they they have to go buy the physical version. There's no other way to do it, you know. And when I bought, um, so my wife's brother, when I bought him the Smash DLC, like there's no good way to do it, dude. So what I had to do is I had to go, hey, can I borrow your Switch for five minutes? (laughs) (laughs) 
And he's like, why? I'm like, oh, I just want to check a setting. So he's like, all right. He's a pretty chill guy. So he's like, all right. And then I bought it for him for his birthday. Using his yeah, credit card? No, no, no. I entered my credit card, didn't save the data, all that kind of stuff. So, But yeah, what a dumb thing that you have to do. So obviously they need to work those kind of things out. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see if this impacts us in Australia as well going forward because we often are more linked to the uh, EU because of the whole UK connection historically, which is kind of funny to me. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we start to see more of this in Australia as well. I don't don't know if we've got confirmation, if we've got discs in our Ubisoft games going forward (laughs) for the special editions. And uh, going into our next piece of news, DualSense... Uh, a new patent has been filed by Sony, which indicates that they will be able to tell the user purely based on holding the con- uh, the controller, the DualSense controller, and how they've angled it, and you know how they're moving it around. And I was sort of like reading a little bit about it. So sorry, you know, Intergot, what what is the DualSense again? <laughs> <laughs> what I don't know. I refuse to say to people what the DualSense is. Everyone knows what the DualSense is. This is the second refuse. time I've had to ask you. I don't know. You what know the what the dual sense is. Shut up. Yes, you do. I'm <laughs> refusing to say what it is. I specifically mentioned I did like in our run sheet that the PS5 dual sense. Why do I? Just, everyone knows what the dual sense is. <laughs> no one. No one knows what World of Tanks is, <laughs> but everyone knows what dual sense is. <laughs> um, but you know, like I, I think things like this, and especially if you add AI with it as well. Like, this actually could be very viable as a solution. But it's one of those ones where it's either it's going to work well or it's going to be horrible. So, you but say if it works as well, a, you say it's a really solution cool. to what problem? Oh, so you don't, you don't experience this, but if you have a house, like I've had share houses where we all have accounts on like a PS4 or whatever, and it's, it's annoying. Like, I don't like it. I don't like having to jump in and go, oh, I've got to change the account. Because it's like my account. The same as the Switch as well. It has the same thing. Okay. That, you had multiple that's, accounts. That's interesting because I, I like this as a, hey, this is cool tech. But to me, it's solving a problem that is so first world. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like, I, if they can do it and it doesn't increase, let's say, the cost of controllers, then all for it. It's a, it's a cool little innovation. But you just have to, like, swap your account. I, I find it no, really... it's I, annoying. Well, the thing is, I, I can't say how annoying it, or not it is for PS5, but let's say for Xbox, if someone wanted to swap their account, then essentially you just press the home button and then you just go to account and switch it. You know, it's I, I guess it would be quicker, but it's it is a to me a solution looking for a problem in my opinion. But I oh, like the tech. I totally disagree. It. I like the. De- I totally disagree. It, it, like so. In these kind of things, when you look at a core experience that people have with your product, you want to try to remove every single friction point that you can. So, you know, whether that's, I'm going to go buy a car at a car lot, or I'm going to use this app, or I'm going to go play my PlayStation 5. So if you can figure out a way to remove steps, barriers from that person to achieve their objective, which is to play the game, that's that's critical. Ah, and they're doing this people where it lazy. seems to be... People are just lazy. <laughs> You're so odd. You're so odd. What? I'm not odd it for has... thinking this is... To me, I, I without knowing much about, obviously, the PS5's interface and things like that, I mean, there's to me, there's bigger problems 
about you know how how we handle games and install sizes and things like that. And I know they're getting better with that these days, but it just it, again, it's like are they getting better with their Microsoft Flight Simulator? Oh no, not not so much Flight Simulator, but Simulator. But I've I've heard <laughs> that they're they're going to be like looking for solutions. That was to me my most annoying part about this current gen is is just how to handle like updates and things like that. But mm. I just think it. It's it's one of those you know when you, you you're doing some kind of like project you know at work and it's like this is a very nice to have feature. No, <laughs> it's not. Opinion, See, we're gonna... In my opinion, it's a nice to have. I, I get it, but you're wrong. Like this is <laughs> core experience. Anything that's core experience that you can improve. If you can make a load time faster, if you can remove screens that don't need to be there that you're not generating income. Like, changing accounts doesn't benefit anyone. Changing accounts is annoying. So, it's just like, okay, I'll ask this simple question. You have an Android phone. Do you type in a password to get on your phone? No, I do not. There you go. You can enable that. Why don't you enable that? That's the that's the safest way, number one. Oh, and number you, two, that's just proven your entire point. What do you mean? <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> there you go. Oh, and, totally and I totally proved your entire point. That was sarcastic, by the way. <laughs> no, I'm saying I've, I've got one, one zero for the podcast up here, and and I I did I ne- neglected to mention when we we're talking about Gamescom in you know, our great review of that that um Ratchet and Clank. The one thing that I wanted to mention in that game, and just given that we're talking about dual sense, is that the triggers are going to be adaptive, so the tension of the triggers is going to change depending on what's happening in the game. So it actually can kind of feel like, like for instance, they, they say that, you know, if a gun jams, like the trigger itself can be really like hard to press, which like, I don't know, it seems super gimmicky to me, but I'd love some games to really take full advantage of that. I think it'd be really cool. And I know they mentioned it already, but it just was reiterated with uh with the Gamescom thing. So I thought it was pretty cool. Oh, don't, I'll just say, don't get me wrong. I, I think this is cool. I just hope that it doesn't lead to these accessories being more expensive because they've got this new tech in it. Because I don't think, I think that doesn't, the, the benefit, the cost benefit there doesn't weigh positively in my opinion. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. And based on what they're saying, uh, it doesn't seem like that at all, because if they wanted to do this, all they would do is take the touch, um, like, you know, the fingerprint readers that you already have in all smartphones and everything like that. That's a really cheap component. They could have just added that straight to the controller. Hmm. and made it like just as seamless really so the fact that they're not doing that to me indicates that they look at this as you know someone some engineers come up with this idea hey maybe we could work this out based on the 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 telemetry data we can actually detect which user it is it's like oh okay this is a great win because it makes the user experience better doesn't cost us anything that's always a you know a thing that makes sense right in business and if it's not a lot of work to do it so and and let's move to our final piece of news PlayStation. So, PlayStation 5, we had, I think, really interesting news this week, and this is for US only, that you can register for an opportunity to pre-order the PlayStation 5 console from PlayStation and, you know, Sony directly. And the thing that I think is so interesting about this is they cannot overemphasize enough. (laughs) Like, if you go through the website, that it is going to be so limited. And... You know, there's even things like, oh, wait, I've registered and I couldn't buy a PlayStation 5. 
And then the the answer is yes, they've been sold out. <laughs> it's like so direct, like it's it's really crazy, and it just seems like they are going to have massive crunch on how many PlayStation fives are going to be available in the holiday season, and it just kind of gets back to. I don't really get why they're releasing these consoles this year. Like, they'll sell them out, for sure. But I just feel like people are going to get really annoyed that they can't buy a PlayStation 5 or Xbox Series X over the holiday. Yeah, I... It's... To me, this is really wait and see still. Um, Not knowing all the ins and outs of the different, you know, production, um, I guess channels that they have it does seem like as you as you mentioned they're kind of really trying to (laughs) just set this up to to not kind of you know blow up in their face as much but i don't think there's any way to avoid it if they don't have enough to meet the needs um people are going to get pissed yeah and (laughs) to me it's like a mega version of what happened with the analog pocket like people are just gonna lose this their stuff over this and People are totally wrong with the whole idea that, oh, why would they release games consoles? They're so expensive in during COVID. It's such a crazy idea. It's a complete opposite. All the games companies are making bank at the moment. Like, Nintendo can't get enough consoles out. Like, they, they could raise the price $100 and they'll sell just as many. They won't do that, but they could. Um, so, I, I get it from a getting it out there. But at the same time, you can make it so limited that people will really get so, so frustrated. Similar, you know what it is? Similar to me to when the, you know, NES Classic came out and it was like, you couldn't get it anywhere. And people were almost getting more annoyed about it than, you know, actually wanting it. And no one ever plays those things anymore. Um, But it was, yeah, that FOMO kind of thing. But yeah, it's interesting. And I've even seen that people still haven't, even though they've tried to register through their PSN ID, they haven't actually been able to receive the invite yet. So the invite itself is limited. And then when you get it open, you have to, you know, go on and it's a first come first serve whenever they open it up. See, Um, I take a very um, elitist and arrogant standpoint towards this. (laughs) If I have to go through this many hoops to buy the console... (laughs) Then they're not going to get my money until it's as simple as me <laughs> clicking a button online to, to send it to my house or hopefully walking to a shop and purchasing it. Um, I get for some people it's the biggest thing they're waiting for, but I'm I'm not going to you know even if it's something I'm super looking forward to, let's say um, a, a, a Game Boy Classic or something. I'm not going to sit there and do this. You know, I I to me it needs to if I'm going to purchase something, the process needs to be super simple as possible. Yeah. Well, I was actually thinking about this, if I should build a bot for our listeners (laughs) so that they can sign up. And it's like, as soon as the pre-orders become available in Australia, like on JB or eBay eBay games or whatever, then bang, an email goes out to everyone saying, get on it quick. You've got like a minute. Because I really do think that this year, especially the PS5, I'm not so sure about the Xbox Series X, but definitely the PS5 will sell out within, like, 20 minutes in Australia from a pre-orders point of view for our our holidays, our Christmas. So there's going to be a lot of grumpy people <laughs> this year, I reckon. I get it. I, I, I completely understand if people, uh, let's say if you've got a family and you really want to, like, get it, you know, as a gift for, for your kids and things like that. But otherwise, there's just so many games. 
and all these games are generally well maybe not ps5 games but you know especially on the xbox side if you really want to play new halo well halo's delayed so forget about that but if you really want to play a version <laughs> of a game it's probably going to be available on current gen anyway sure it's not going to be as good in that case if you've got the pc to play it play it there but i there's still so many games that you know surely yeah. it I, I imagine a lot of people that are going to be pissed about this still have dozens of games have never played in their oh, in their catalog so for sure for i think sure. it's the ultimate the perfect time to catch up on that if you you know if you can get one you can get one great but if you can't get one then look i'm sure there's plenty of games to play yeah and look look i probably it's funny because we have a game podcast but i think we're probably fairly atypical of most people like i think we're more than happy to wait for for games you know like for me, I usually wait until there's a game of the year edition with all the DLC incorporated, goes down to a, a better price, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll get into the game now. Um, I mean, the only games that ever pass that threshold for me, realistically, is probably like Mario, Zelda, and Metroid mainline games. Outside of that, I don't know. I don't really ever feel compelled to go out and buy a game on launch. Um, so I think that probably makes us a bit atypical of most people who are very excited about these consoles coming out this year. All right. So that wraps us up for news. Now into my favorite segment, the bargain bin. Money, money, <laughs> What money. I look forward to every week. <laughs> a new episode, a new episode of three out of 10 coming out. Oh, so, did you remove it? <laughs> you removed I did. it. So, so uh, as we do normally. Just given that they always have free games coming out. Epic Game Store. So, right now, jump on. You can get Hitman, the first Hitman game. And also Shadowrun no, Collection. Not the first and Hitman game. The first of the remake games. Just oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Hitman 2016. Apologies. Uh, People knew what you were saying. I just wanted to be... Uh, well, actually... <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't typed in the show notes correctly. So, I read it out wrong. Uh <laughs> So, and and one thing that we did call out last week, and this is why we bring the games up again, is uh, with the Shadowrun collection, because we didn't know which games were in the Shadowrun collection, and as I pointed out last week, Shadowrun, the first video game adaptation, uh, was actually developed by a Melbourne uh, game company, Beam, and it is not included <laughs> in this. So, this is Shadowrun Damn Returns, it. Shadowrun Dragonfall, and then Shadowrun Hong Kong. But Shadowrun Returns actually is a bit of a continuation and it's got some callbacks to uh, Shadowrun on the Super NES. So, And they're all very well-regarded games, uh, including Hitman 2016. So, very, very good week for Epic. Oh, yeah, that Shadowrun looks great. I've always heard good things. Mm. So, yeah. I mean, I got it. That That's one great thing about the bargain bin. It's at least getting me to get these games. <laughs> and then next week, uh, Into the Breach. So this has previously been available on uh, Epic Game Store, but Into the Breach, extremely uh, well-regarded series, kind of a bit of a cult series almost. Well, not series, but, you know, cult game along with uh, FTL. Um, I, I really haven't seen it cross into the major sort of, you know, mainstream of gaming, but, man, these, these games are just critical darlings. Oh, I mean, yeah, well, Into the Breach got a lot of buzz. Um, and... Was I guess topping a lot of the game of the year lists across many um, outlets. Mm. But, uh, as you said, like if you asked the average gamer on the street, they might not know what Into the Breach is, which is a shame. I haven't played it myself, but it, I've always been keen to try it, and now I can. Yeah, so you know, as I said, I'd had this through Epic Games before, and 
I actually installed it just recently and started playing it. And I actually put it down because I was like, whoa, I'm going to get like sucked into this game so hard if I keep playing it. Because <laughs> I love these kind of strategy games. And it's just got like all the notes that I like in a game. So I was like, whoa. I literally deleted it because I was like, geez, I'm just going to get like swept up in this game. Um, and talking about sort of bumper releases, PlayStation Plus, surprisingly, has uh, been really good recently. So right now, and it's ending at the end of August, so you've got to get in really quick. Fall Guys is free and Modern Warfare 2 Campaign Remastered. And then in September, we're going to have Street Fighter Five. Sorry, sorry. And- <laughs> no run sheet. You have Modern Warface 2. I love that. I do, don't I? The Warface I is an Thanks. actual game, which is funny. <laughs> anyway. Um, as I was trying to say, um, from September 1, Street Fighter Five and Player Unknown's Battlegrounds are both going to be as part of your PlayStation Plus that's, that's, subscription. That's huge. I reckon that's awesome. Yeah. You know, PUBG is kind of interesting because I played a bit of Fortnite. It wasn't my thing. And I'm not, it's not a, oh, this is like a kid's game or it looks like a kid's game. You know, I'm not like that. I don't care about that. I just didn't click with me, the game. Whereas PUBG, I don't know, something about it, and I've seen my mate play it a lot. I'm like, oh, I kind of think I'd get into this game, but I don't know. I've been so cheap. I just don't want to spend the money on it. But then I'm not going to play it on PlayStation. It's a PC game for me, but it's great value. You know, if you if you got a PlayStation at the moment, it's awesome time. Like all four of those games in the space of a week, are just unreal. So, really great value. And uh, announced this week was also Xbox uh, Games of Gold for September. So, from uh, the first game, Tom Clancy's Division 1 is available from September the 1st, so now until the 30th. So, that's on Xbox One. Book of Unwritten Tales 2 is available from 16th September to uh, October the 15th. Again, Microsoft just line these up properly. Um, that's on Xbox One as well. Now, a, a fantastic game. To me, the highlight of, of this uh, set is De Blob 2, which is available now until the 15th. So you've only got two weeks to get that. That's um, actually a 360 game, but it's backwards compatible on Xbox One. And last is an OG Xbox game, Armed and Dangerous, uh, which is um, backwards compatible on 360 and Xbox One. That's available from September the 16th to the 30th. So not a great, nice. not a great month, but the Blob Two is is a good pick up there. Yeah, and that, it's been a pretty good month, a couple of months with PlayStation. But prior to that, like Xbox was dominating massively. Still with the games of games with gold, parking the Game Pass, which is like probably the best deal in gaming at the moment. Um, and I still think the awesome thing with Xbox is just when they're releasing the original, like you know Xbox OG titles, Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty titles, something that you know, PlayStation's just abandoned, given that they don't have that backwards compatibility worked out on the PlayStation 4. And we still don't know about the PlayStation 5, how that's all going to work. Um, but yeah, no, good good, good games this week and some some uh, for free. And then uh, into our final segment, Swinpression, Spiritfarer. Take it away, Swinny. Yeah, so Spiritfarer was a recent release. It was highlighted in, I think it was Nintendo's Indie Showcase. Um, and I, it's in Games of Gold, so I mm. wouldn't say I picked it up. I literally clicked a download button and was able to give it a shot. And so Spirit Fair is available on PC, PS4, Switch, Xbox One, and Stadia, amazingly. Stadia. Um, so it's it's developed and published by Thunder Lotus Games. I'm not sure um, aware of any pri- uh, previous work that they've done, and it technically mm. came out on August 18th, so it's a relatively recent release. 
And I was super pumped to try this. It looks, it had a good showing in the indie showcase. I think it's got got quite a bit of buzz about it because it's just oh, got massive. a really, really cool art style. Yeah. Um, got a very chill, I guess, presentation overall, but also just the gameplay. And I guess to kind of frame uh, what the game is, so you play as a girl named Stella, who's wearing this awesome hat, basically. That, that's the whole game. She's wearing an awesome hat. Now, she's um, taken over from a retiring, and I never know how to say this, Karen or Haron or whatever, the basically the ferryman of the dead. So she's actually taking over as oh, the ferryman yeah. of the dead. Oh, by the way, the pronunciation, I looked it up. There's no set pronunciation. It's so annoying about that word. <laughs> anyway. That's like a Ubisoft and Ubisoft. Yeah. So, and she's accompanied <laughs> by her cat named daffodil so they're basically the whole point of this game is that you're you're this ferryman um or fairy woman and you're comforting spirits on their final passage to the underworld and that sounds really dark but it's such a it's framed in a way where it's a really positive game or at least in early stages i can't say later on because these are just my probably my first two hours with the game yeah but it's a very difficult game to actually classify um it's kind of like the mechanics are straightforward but you can't really slot them into one specific genre if i had to describe it i think it's kind of got a touch of stardew valley so in terms of growing crops making people happy collecting resources things like that Uh, a bit of wind waker because you're cruising around the ocean um, you're selecting points on a map and then you actually have to spend the time traveling there i believe you do unlock fast travel eventually um and so while you're traveling, you can fish and do other things. So just think if anyone remembers Wind Waker, um, a lot of the time you're just spending, just chilling on the ocean as you're going to your lo- to your destination. So this is similar. But the whole thing with this is you're on the boat and doing different things uh, while that's happening. And the last thing I'd probably compare it to is probably a Studio Ghibli film or Ghibli film uh, in terms of the visual design and the spirits. It is very, reminds me a lot of the Spirit Bathhouse from Spirited Away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's really cool. It does have its own unique take. It's not like they've copied anything. It's just that it just issues that. It's got, like, it just reminds me of it. And the majority of the game is set on the boat. So the idea is you upgrade the boat, um, you build more buildings on it, which seems weird, but it's literally houses on a boat, but you increase the size of your boat so you can accommodate more people. Um, you find spirits around the world, Um Sometimes I'll just join you straight away. Sometimes you have to do something um, and then you f- make them happy. And if you make them happy enough and, you, you know, you give them food, you hug them, you talk to them and, and do quests for them, then they might actually do stuff around the boat for you. So they might water your crops or might help you in the sawmill and things like that. But there's essentially, it's it's a weird mix. So like there's cooking, crafting, lots of mini games. Like you can sing to your crops, which is a neat touch like when you're with the the cat the cat's actually like singing and it's the animation is absolutely amazing in this game but one one thing i'll say about this game though is that so as i was playing i'm thinking man i'm gonna love this game and it's got a lot of people like it's got it's very critically acclaimed so far from what i've read yeah yeah massively i realized about an hour in that i was forcing myself to play this game Oh, interesting. So I can't, I respect this game in so many ways and have so much praise for the different elements. But when it comes to actually playing it, I I was just very bored, honestly. Um, (laughs) 
And I, I know it picks up because even early on, it starts. You start having to build different, um, you know, different buildings on your boat. So you're having to manage a lot more when you're doing those trips. But yeah, I just, I just really don't think the game's for me, honestly. I, I you know, how when you just get that impression, you're like, oh, yeah, this, I can see what why people love this game, but maybe it's just not for me. And I think yeah. that's that's how I felt. Like I don't actually think I'll play anymore, simply because I just oh, wow. I just wanted to play enough to be able to give these impressions. Yeah, and your swim impressions. My swim impressions. And <laughs> there, there's the the game definitely gets more depth to it. Um, you know, I've I've since gone and also read a lot more about um, how the game keeps progressing. So it's not that there's not much to do. I just I just wasn't having a, a good time with it. Um, I, I will say, so I mentioned about the presentation. Mm. The absolute highlight for me, though, is, are the animations. Just even the subtle ones with the expression. So, you know, when you go up to hug one of the spirits or you can even hug your cat, it's the animation is just so great. But the problem I had is I'm playing on quite a small TV. And yeah. it felt like it's it, it does zoom in every now and then, especially when you go into buildings. But it's so zoomed out by default that I feel that I'm missing a lot of the detail in that great animation. So I think if you've got a bigger TV, then you know it's it's going to be nicer. But I do wonder what it's going to be like playing portable on the Switch because it's so zoomed out. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm kind of looking at it on a screen in our B-roll that's you know kind of roughly the size of a Switch, and that's kind of my impression. I've looked at it and go, wow, it's like really zoomed out. Like and really, really finely detailed. Like really, you know, thin lines and things like that. Yeah, I was trying to um, like the the character your character Stella is very expressive, but I like I kept wanting to like can, is there a button to zoom in so I can actually see this animation because <laughs> it's so cool, but I just can't yeah. see that well all the time. But yeah, another thing I'll say about the game is um, it's actually got local co op, and oh uh, okay, I actually think who, who do you play as? So you play as the cat second player <laughs> that's cool and what's awesome about it is when you i haven't played it uh cop but i've looked a lot into it because i want to make sure i you know didn't do the game a disservice um what what's actually really good about that is that the the cat can essentially do everything on the ship that the stella can do so the cat's daffodil um except i think talk to the spirits so while you're actually doing some stuff let's say if, if the first player is um, cooking something or they're you know doing some fishing or they're you know building something then the cat can actually go around and like water the crops and do everything else all on the whole whole ship so i actually think this is actually really really good game for anyone that because uh, it's local anyone you know that's looking for a chill game they can play with with their partner or with uh with you know a kid um i think it's i think it's a really good game for that I just think it wasn't, especially at the moment, um, I don't know if it's just because it came off playing CrossCode, which is very, can get very intense, that game, that it, maybe it was a bit of too much of an abrupt shift to go straight into playing Spiritfarer. But I do think it is a fantastic game. Um, and I guess what also soured me is, and it was, it's a small thing, but it, it did frustrate me. So early on in the game, you go to, um, you know, it's kind of getting, it's, you know, like the tutorial section, basically. So it's working you through the different mechanics and they take you to this island and you go to purchase seeds off a merchant, which is kind of a play on Tom Nook because it's a raccoon merchant. And yep. they say, here's the mission. Okay, buy some seeds. 
so I go and buy some seeds. Nothing happens. And I'm like, okay, what's happened? Yeah. So I'm talking to all the characters yeah. and I can't progress. Um, I huh? go back to my boat, but the main quest is to buy seeds. So I'm like doing everything I can. I'm like, what is going on? I, I'm, I go online. Has anyone hit this? Do a, Is this a bug? Is this game breaking bug or what? whatever? So I, you know, gave it a break. I came back the next day. I found someone online that said, oh, no, you just have to buy a specific seed. But the game, I swear the game didn't tell me. So I thought uh, that I had okay. this game breaking bug. And it was just, I think that did sell me because what I, I'd spent all my money on those other seeds. I just didn't buy that one specific seed that would move the, <laughs> the quest on. Um, and I have heard that there are quite a few bugs um, and uh, some people losing saves and things in the game. Uh, so I don't think that's, don't say, you know, that's not me pushing you away, but maybe if you are interested in the game and you don't need to play it right away, maybe just give it a little bit for them to work through those teething issues. Because I think yeah. it is a game that a lot of people love. It's just not a game for me. Yeah, and you know, in like again, I think in general that's pretty good strategy. Unless you're playing a multiplayer game, these single player games, you you know, you often benefit from waiting a month or two for them to release some really critical patches that they just haven't picked up on certain things. And I, I just wanted to quickly point out around Thunder Lotus Games that they had released uh, Jotun and Sundered, which I'd actually oh, heard yes. of both of those games yes. before. So I just wanted to point that out, but um. You know, I'm not trying to be like a Californian surfer from the 90s, but this is often why I say a game doesn't vibe with me, because it's kind of more like, I'm not really saying the game's a bad game, it's more just like, doesn't click with me. Like, I, it's just not my type of game. But, it, you know, from your perspective, you, it sounds like, you know, if you're looking for that kind of, as they advertise it themselves, a cosy management game about dying... If that sort of sounds your speed, you're saying that that's probably a good game to pick up? Yeah, and I will say there's there's some cool... Like, the game does, um, you know, have a lot of traversal options. So you unlock... Early on, you unlock a double jump. They've got mini games where you have to catch lightning on the boat as you're traversing. So there is, like, an, an action element to it in some regards. Um, but I, I think just check out the trailer, maybe check out some gameplay. If you think it... It looks looks cool. Like I love Stardew Valley. This is almost like a super chill version of Stardew. Stardew has time pressure. This really doesn't have any time pressure that I encountered. Mm. You know, you do there is a day night cycle and things, but it's not punishing. Like if when it hit the night, I just sent you know everyone went to bed, and I just did some stuff on the boat and woke up the next day and just continued on. So it didn't feel like I was like, oh, I need to get stuff done so I can achieve the next thing I want to for the next day. Yeah, like min-maxing or anything. Oh, like yeah. That. didn't do, Did not feel like a min-maxing game at all. Um, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe I kind of like that drive. Um, <laughs> I think you do. Yeah, but I, it, it's, a, it's a charming game. It, it plays well. Um, and I think a lot of people will love it. Um, just, uh, yeah, maybe not my cup of tea. Oh, fair enough. That sounds good. All right. Well, that that's our show for today. Uh, as always, reach out to us on Twitter on Bigwig Pod, uh, or feel free to hit us up on any of our clips or the main podcast on our YouTube channels. Uh, we always go back and, ref- and sort of comment and engage with the community there. And then also, if you want to help us grow, make sure you give us a five star or a thumbs up review on the podcast service that you use, because that will be the best way for us to grow. Uh, And with that, bye-bye. See ya.